All right, we shouldn't be on. We shouldn't be on this tangent. We got a. We got a lot of things to talk about. We can say that about almost every topic, almost every week. Yeah, we mean it this time. All right, so this week was our first real introduction to Apple Park and uh, and the Steve Jobs Theater at Apple Park, which uh, we've all seen many, many, many pictures, most of which are beautiful, uh, of the Steve Jobs Theater and of Apple Park. Uh, I don't have the link handy, but um, Dan, is it Frommer or Fromer? I always get it wrong. I think it's Fromer. There you go. Well, Dan, we apologize. But anyway, uh, we will try to find uh, wherever the link was that flew by earlier today, wherein he uh, had like a little photo essay of his day at uh, at the Steve Jobs Theater. And the pictures are beautiful and, 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 and really well done. And so you can check that out. Um, but it was it was a neat it was a neat event. Uh, it was interesting that we knew a lot. We didn't know some things. And that's cool, too. And I guess, do we want to start with just a kind of opening remark or do we want to just dive right in we're going chronological like we always do what's the first thing that it did the steve jobs the steve jobs tribute yeah oh my word i thought honestly i thought it was excellent um it you know they 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 had they had to say something if they're dedicating the theater to him and naming after him they had to say something and i think they did a remarkably good job of it uh tim delivered it really well it was very well you know, designed and written. It was really great to hear a recording of Steve um, saying some stuff. And and honestly, I I, I did not recognize that quote. And I've I've heard it from other other podcasters. Didn't seem to know where it came from either. That was new to me. I remember it. I would have picked a different quote. Oh, he said so many things. That's, 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 <laughs> the, one, that's the one I picked. But anyway, yeah, no, I remember it. John. <laughs> See, he, he, I, I know it's supposed, we're supposed to be talking about how much we love Steve Jobs and miss him, but that particular quote reminds me of some of the some of the worst aspects of Steve Jobs because it was about like how some people express their uh you know their love for humanity by making great things for people tinged with a little bit like I may not do nice things but I make really cool hardware like as a he said that before of like you know when people complain to him about you know doing things that are not nice or not giving to charity or whatever he's like my time is i would do more good for the world by making an awesome phone which is possibly true right but also a nice way for him to excuse himself from doing nice things and i was reminded of that aspect by that quote so i was like please pick a different one he's got so many good quotes don't pick the one that has a, a tiny touch of uh sort of uh, rationalization baked right into it, um, but but it's clear that most important thing was not the quote or the pictures or anything like that. It was that it's clear that Tim still does miss him and had real emotion. You know, the reason that segment took longer than you would think is because he paused a lot between talking. And I, you know, I don't think that's an act. Like I think no. everybody really does miss Steve Jobs, in, in, including tim probably every time he gets up on that stage and thinks boy steve would do this better than me which is true oh, but, poor oh. Tim. he does he does fine but i'm just saying like like just like he said steve loved days like today like and he would have loved to announce this new phone and everything right and just it's the worst time to think about it you know like that's what he lived for all the hard work and all the yelling at people and and driving everyone to be their best and everything and to get to go up there and to announce it he loved that uh, and so them having to talk about, like, here we are in this theater, you know, that he would have loved the theater, he would have loved to announce these things, but instead it's us, and we'll do the best we can. I, I think if you were not holding back tears during that segment, you're not wired up right. It was incredibly moving and very, very well done and very fitting 
to what they were doing and you know to the time and everything. I, I do agree with uh, what Jason Snell said on Upgrade this week, which um, he was saying this is probably the last we're going to hear about Steve from Apple for a long time. Um, and I think that's probably right. Uh, it has He's been gone for a very long time. This was a very fitting time to pay him tribute in this way. Um, but I, I wouldn't expect them to make a regular uh, habit of it, and even when doing events in this theater. Um, but it was a really, really nice thing, and I'm, I'm glad they did it, and I'm glad they did it the way they did it. Yeah, and I think the important point, well, first of all, there never is an occasion to talk about Steve Jobs. Like, they can make one every single time they do anything they could, but they don't, right, to their credit. And this, the the intro part, part that uh, I thought was fitting was the explanation of, you know, not explaining why they're talking about him now, because obviously the theater is dedicated to him. It's got his name on it. Like, that's the time to do it, right? But also that enough time has passed that there that uh, Apple and we all in the audience like can have some more perspective on it, right? So it's not it's not as fresh as it was. And I remember uh, you had a good tweet, Mark. I think what Tim said on stage was that we can, what was it, look back uh, not with sadness, but with whatever what did he say do you remember the quote uh, like celebration or something like that or yeah right like and, and and you tweeted i'm still sad yeah just true. I am we, still are sad. Still, we, we are still sad but uh like the idea is that a lot of time has passed and now hopefully we all have some more perspective and this is a good time to be able to to at least try to shift a little bit from just like it being completely raw and just being just you know forgetting and then remembering oh that's right he's gone he's never gonna do that thing that he does again to shifting towards hopefully fonder memories of just like it happened long enough ago that it is not, you know, that it's scabbed over a little bit. And then we can look back, you know, and think that, you know, that, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think that was a, it's not like putting a, a cap on it to say we're never going to talk or think about him again. But to say this is, this is a milestone, right? Especially since the whole Apple Park thing was one of the last big, as they noted, one of the last big projects that he uh, undertook. That he didn't get to ever see completed, but he definitely knew, you know, had a vision for how it was supposed to go. Right. So it was, you know, it was as with most things, Apple, it was very taste. Well, I'm going to say as with most things, Apple, as we expect from Apple, but as occasionally they don't live up to, it was very tasteful. Like if you think of the intro videos they've had at other times, sometimes they're a little bit goofy. Sometimes they miss the mark. Sometimes they hit the bad ones. I think we just tend to forget. But if we if we search our memories, we can remember a lot of uh, opening videos that are like, I roll, whatever, take, get us the announcements. This was tastefully done um, and it was nice. That it was the right amount of time, and it, it was the, the right timing and the right amount of time. I, it was long enough that it was taken seriously. I don't remember hearing it, but we, I saw widely reported that they told the people in the audience, like, hey, shut off your laptops and pay attention for a minute, would you please? I, I don't know how they phrased it, but that was basically the message. And if you, I, I watched bits and pieces of the keynote again over the over the last 24 hours, and if you look, there were a couple of people with like phones or laptops open, but generally speaking, that that theater was completely dark for that entire segment, and I thought that that was, you know, tasteful, tastefully done, and and I'm glad that the press actually listened because, you know, if we remember the turn off your Wi-Fi moment yeah, from the, years ago, job, Jobs would have yelled at them and said, "He said, close your laptops. It's going to ruin the effect of the just welcome to the Steve Jobs Theater on a black background. Don't you understand? Look at the black levels on this projector." <laughs> it's a completely dark room and white text and the background totally blends in but we can't see it because you have your stupid laptops open anyway so after that so they moved on to the uh, apple park intro video a little bit apple park looks like an amazing building and an amazing campus and an amazing place to be however there's kind of this this reality of it which is like them showing off like here's this amazing building we've made 
for ourselves that you're never going to see. Yeah, look at us, look at how smart we are. There's a visitor center for you. Yeah, there's a visitor center that's not really the main building, or that's not really what you want to see. You're not going to be allowed at near like the cool thing. You're not going to be in the in the big ring. You're not going to be in the courtyard in the middle of the big ring. Um, only the press will ever see the Steve Jobs Theater, probably. Um, so it's just like I, I don't know. It's it has this kind of it's like look at this cool thing we made. You can't have it. Like I I, uh, <laughs> I I would love to see Apple Park, and, and you could you could go there and walk around. I mean, you can't go into people's office past where you have to badge through stuff, but I'm sure you could walk into the middle of the thing and go through the, the Cafe Max or whatever they're going to call it at this place. I bet I can't. <laughs> you want to well, bet? <laughs> I, I think you can. Yeah. Okay. I don't think that's the case because you gotta when, get a, some I, Apple employee to escort you. It's, it's less well, it's that's less the onerous thing. than Google, where you have to print out yourself a little badge. You don't even have to do that at Apple. Oh my god. Uh, I'm pretty sure we needed badges. I'm trying to remember when we went back or when we went there. But I think you need stickers. I mean, that's what I meant. But um, yeah, I, I think without an escort, you don't see squat. Like you certainly didn't see squat at, at Infinite Loop. But you just, if you just want to go through the food place into the middle of the ring where the trees are, I think you can pull that off. Yeah, I would love that. But even even that is nearly impossible for anybody to actually do. No, you just get a friend at Apple, dude. Anyway. Um, like, oh yes, because I, I everyone has friends at Apple. All, like, all of us on. have friends at Apple on this show. The three of us do. I've, but I've visited. I've, so I visited Infinite Loop. I think about four or five times now. I've been actually brought through and gone to Cafe Max one time. That's like once I've actually gone like into the building, and not even really into the. I just went walked through the building to get to the food court like one time. <laughs> so on, on the Apple Park thing, like I s- remain unconvinced by the utility of apple park it is unquestionably a beautiful place uh the buildings are beautiful as sort of works of art the views from and of the buildings are beautiful but i don't know if the buildings are good places to do the things they're designed for you to do is it a good place to work is it a good place to commute to is it a good place to I mean, you can ask the press, was it a good place to have a press event? It seems like mostly pulled that off. Um, yeah. Al- although, uh, you know, because it's purpose-built for that, I would hope so. Like, uh, But this the bar is low there because if you try to do it in like an, an actual old theater, that's not designed to have a huge amount of press in it. You know, you fill theaters with an audience and a small amount of press. You don't fill, fill a, an actual theater like the Billy Graham Theater with, you know, giant amounts of press that you know, every single person in the audience is there because they're reporting on something. So hopefully this fulfills that purpose. But even there, like the, the, the top part of this building, as amazing as it is to see a giant glass cylinder with a big hat on it. And you're like, how is that big thing <laughs> holding up there? Is it going <laughs> to collapse and kill us? How do they get the wires up to the lights? Oh, it must be these little skinny. It's like a magic trick, right? Um, little spinning elevator and, and the cool stairs that are like the ones from the Regent street store in London and all other things that you recognize from Apple retail. It's so empty of things like where are the garbage cans and and the and the bathrooms and the you know someplace to get a drink of water and something to sit down on. It's like well those are outside and we bring them in and rent uh, and have rentals and there are bathrooms there and you can get to them and but it's just I don't know I I, I look at it and I think of it more as a beautiful sculpture and less as a functional place for people to do a thing. Um, but the theater i think can't afford to be weird kind of like the sydney opera house like it is itself a a theatrical thing 
the rest of Apple Park is still, you know, nobody knows. We'll have to wait until everybody moves in and then we can all talk to our Apple friends that we were just talking about and say, how, what's it like? What's it like to work there? Is it better or worse than the weird 80s infinite loop canvas? Uh, you know, is it better or worse than, than Google or whatever other place that you might have worked? Um, so I, I remain slightly dubious about the utility of Apple Park as a place to work, but uh, certainly looks cool in pictures and none of us have to work there, so we can just enjoy it in that way. I mean, probably, as as the answer is so often with modern Johnny Ive creations, probably the answer to all your practical needs is either wireless or dongles. Oh, my God. Yeah, get a dongle to put your garbage in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The AR installation looked pretty neat, though. I mean, it's totally like, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it's like, oh, of course, you have to have an AR installation. But it did look cool. Like, you know, if, if you didn't see the video, it it looks like, they they did almost like a monochrome 3D display. Monochrome also isn't the best word for it, but like a, a very, very blank looking 3D display that's somewhere, I guess, at the visitor center. And then you can take your like iPad or iPhone or whatever and hold it up to this 3D uh, miniature of the park, of, of Apple Park, and it will show you like the full res, you know, all the trees, all the happy trees everywhere and everything. And here's here's where here's where all the airflow is because people care about that. Uh, it, but it does look clever and neat <laughs> use of a neat use of AR. And speaking of airflow and things like that, apparently the whole building is 100% renewable energy, which is pretty cool because I'd like my kids, soon to be kids, to be able to I don't know have a planet to live on after I'm dead. So that's kind of neat, uh, especially since it is huge. But yeah, I don't know. I, it, there was a lot of, especially around Apple Park, there was a, a fair dose of self congratulation, um, which. I think some of that is to be expected. I think it ran a little bit long for my taste, but you know, it's their event, not mine. So they can do what they want. Yeah. I, I don't, I think the Apple park and the Steve jobs thing, fine. Right. But then when they went into the retail thing, which is the next segment, I started to think, all right, get, get on with it. You're allowed a certain amount of introductory material. Right. But you know, I, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not that interested in retail or maybe because it didn't seem like it fit in, in the event because this is supposed to be an event about products and the reason you get to talk about jobs and Apple Park is because that's the venue and it's the introduction of it. But retail, you could talk about any time. And I, I confess I mostly zoned out. And when I rewatched it, I didn't bother watching that segment again. Did they announce anything new or say anything that made it worth the amount of time that it took in this presentation? Of course they did. If they're they not uh, Apple Store, yes, they're not Apple Stores anymore. They're, oh, they're Apple town centers. Town centers, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Which speaking, like I don't know. I'd block this out. I'd block the, out the segment where they, they tried to redefine vocabulary. <sighs> the problem with this whole segment is that it it was full of like retail jargon and and like the way that that their internal initiatives are probably talking about these things. But it, it, there's a fundamental mismatch between how they talk about this to themselves and what we care about as the customers. And I don't think they respected that difference or understood that difference for, for this segment. And this is not the first time they've made that mistake. Um, you know, this is actually one of the major criticisms I have of generally Tim Cook's presentations about things is that it seems like they often blur the line um, or, or don't find the right balance between internal language and external language and external concerns would you say that your customer sat is not exactly where you wish it was oh it's blow away 
<laughs> <laughs> like, so like the, you know, the whole thing with the store is like, you know, Angela Aaron's is going through telling how all the, they're going to have all these great events and they're making all these atriums and forums and and theaters and that's all that's interesting, but like, what people want out of the Apple Store experience that we have today in and out of the Genius Bar appointment in a reasonable amount of time. And nowhere to line up. Yes, like that, that's what people want is literally like you know shorter Genius Bar waits and make it easier to get appointments and make it just in general Apple stores are overcrowded and there the, there's a huge burden on the staff that's there. So we need more of them probably, and they need to have more staff. And I don't think people care if they're waiting for an hour in, you know, standing next to a table somewhere or in something called a forum with a couple of plants in it. Like, it's nice. And I'm, I'm glad they're doing things like that for their own sake. But we, the customers, like, that doesn't really solve a problem we have. And the stores have real problems that seem to not be getting solved. So it's hard to enjoy a segment like this when it's not solving the problems we really have and also full of this crazy jargon that we don't care about and that's really hard to pay attention to. I think this is the whole Apple retail thing is another uh, great example of success hides problems. Like it is important that the, that the stores are nice. That is important. It's part of the mystique of Apple. It's part of the reason people are excited to go there and see the products that are on the tables. And like, you know, all that is important. Not to say that it should just be like a giant, like, you know, supermarket with a million checkout lines to be for efficiency. Right. It has to be a nice place. But the success that's hiding the problems is the reason Apple retail as you know worth more money per square foot than any other retail place is because they sell expensive high margin products and they sell a lot of them because they're really good and people want them right that's it like you have a store with products that people want presented nicely in good locations and your margins on those products are good and that gives you this this store that like you you know that people just want to go to and throw huge wads of money at you constantly like over and over again there people are crowding in the stores and you take all that success and you're like we should make nicer atriums and have a living wall and and carve this thing out of stone and call things like you know you're you're losing sight of the the purpose of this i mean maybe they're not maybe this is for the external thing but like the purpose of the store is exchanging goods for money right people come in with money and they want stuff to come out and they and again it has to be nice but you know none of this stuff you're doing is making it making it more likely that people are going to come in and buy your things or making it so that you sell more of them per second right it, you know it's, <laughs> it's it's it seems like it's mostly a wash and you're just kind of like polishing the tables and re- rearranging the decor and trying not to interrupt the flow of money but certainly if your goal was to you know either increase the satisfaction then you'll be like less wait times more staff so on and so forth or if you want to increase profits then get people in and out faster and that might also increase satisfaction. Nobody is clamoring for even nicer materials in an Apple store, and yet they're constantly, <laughs> you know, redoing things. Like, and I'm not saying they shouldn't make them nice. They totally should. But, you know, that's, I don't know, maybe maybe we're unique. Maybe we don't spend enough time in Apple stores. I think they're plenty nice. <laughs> I think that I think they are really nice, and I think they do, they should remodel them and refresh them periodically. But all that money flowing in, lets them sort of stick their head in the sand and say, yeah, sometimes it's frustrating, but the money keeps coming in. So let's, you know, try to get a new material for the floor. Yeah. You know, uh, this is a somewhat silly example, but, um, I, uh, went for a run and, uh, I was putting my phone into my little, uh, fanny pack. Hi, 
Brits. Hello. Yikes. Uh, I was putting my phone into my fanny pack or whatever it's called. and uh, Not that. And Yeah, well, it's called that here. It's not yes. called that there. But anyway, <laughs> bum bag. Thank you, Slate401. That's what I was looking for. Um, I think that's the British version. Anyway. Is that real? Bum bag? Yeah, I've heard that several times. It's not, not just a parody of fanny pack? I don't think so. I mean, they're but, all kind of parodies whatever. of themselves, but, but yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. Anyway, I'm going to get through this, darn it. So I dropped my phone on the pavement, uh, shattered my first iPhone. Uh, it's the first time I've done that since getting my 3GS way back when. Uh, I made it almost 3,000 days without shattering a phone. I've had some like nicks or scratches or what have you. Anyway, is that before or after the last Mac Mini update? Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. But anyway, I, uh, I went to schedule a, an appointment on, uh, on Friday mornings. So this was at like 6 45, 7 o'clock in the morning when I was done with my run. And there was some availability. There was like a hair of availability Friday and some availability Saturday. And I ended up having to wait until Sunday. And, and, and just a couple of days out, uh, you know, there, there were the times that I had were not available to me were not terribly convenient, which, yes, I understand that like, oh, I, I live very close to an Apple store. Don't be creepy. You know, if, if you live an hour or two away from an Apple store, it's much, much worse. Um, so this could have been a whole lot worse, but if I had been able to schedule like a same day appointment for a convenient time for me, that would have been amazing. Instead, I was like, oh, well, I guess that's when I'll go in. And then when I got there, it was like, okay, wait 10, 15 minutes for somebody to come talk to you to just verify the fact that you you have the phone you say you have, and then wait 10 or 15 minutes for somebody else to come and grab the phone, and then wait the two hours to have the phone repaired. And yes, I understand that this is a first world problem to, to end all first world problems, but the point I'm bringing, or the reason I bring all this up is because if I had had like a next day appointment and would have been in and out in an hour, which I think if the store was empty or perhaps more appropriately staffed than I could have been, that would have been amazing. And I wouldn't have stopped talking about that forever. Um, but instead, it's like, oh, well, I guess I got to go to the Apple store. You mean you have to go to Apple today? Uh, or yeah. you, you will be exactly. today at Apple, at Apple today, going into their forum atrium to be in their Genius Grove. I'm actually glad you brought the, that up. I actually think I like today at Apple. I think I like the name and I think I like the premise. Will I ever do it? Probably not. But <laughs> I like the idea. Uh, I, even though I don't think it's for me, I think it's a good idea. And I actually really, really like the name today at Apple. And and in the little video they showed, you know, they showed today at Apple, we're going to, I don't know, do a photo walk. Today at Apple, we're going to do sketching. Today at Apple, we're going to do Teacher Tuesday, which I also think is really awesome. Um so uh, as much as I, I want to poke fun, and, and, I, and I know you were joking, but I want to poke fun at today at Apple, I, I actually do enjoy that. Apple Town Center, however, get out of here with that nonsense. It's terrible. All right. Now, we've spent too much time on retail accurately, <laughs> accurately reflecting the, uh, the presentation. We are sponsored this week by Aftershocks Bone Conduction Headphones. Go to atp.aftershocks.com to learn more. Aftershocks headphones work by bone conduction. Small transducers rest in front of your ears, not inside or around them like most headphones, and they send vibrations through your cheekbones that are too small for you to feel directly to your inner ear. So unlike every other kind of headphone, bone conduction leaves your ears completely open with nothing sitting on top of them or resting in them or squishing inside your ear canal. And this brings some major benefits. So first of all, there's a major comfort benefit. If you, like me, can't wear earbuds because they just hurt after a while, this doesn't have that problem. There's nothing in your ear. They're also awesome for exercise and for hot weather because you don't sweat as much without this thing covering up or sticking 
inside your ear. They also stay in place really well as you move around during exercise, and they are IP55 certified for water resistance. So if they get too sweaty or if they get if it starts raining, you don't have to worry about it. And the biggest difference for me with Aftershock compared to any other headphones is that nothing is blocking your ears, so you hear all of the sound of the world around you. So this is not so good if you're in a very loud place like a subway station, but it's awesome if you're doing something like running outside or doing stuff around your house where you want to be able to still hear what's going on in the house or taking a call in an office. It is incredible. It is like nothing. It's like no other kind of headphone I've ever used, and I use it for walking especially. It is amazing for walking uh, or any kind of other like outdoor exercise where you want to hear the world and you, do, you don't want to be blocked out you know, for safety or practicality reasons. The flagship model uh, was the Trex Titanium, which they still sell, and it's great. And it is, I think, my favorite overall one. They also just announced and are taking pre-orders for the Trex Air. This is 20% lighter. It now has a, a new lightweight all-titanium headband. It has reduced sound leakage, improved microphones, and better bass response if you want. Personally, I prefer the pocketability of the original one because the shape is a little bit different, but they're both amazing you can't go wrong with either one they're both incredibly light incredibly comfortable and i highly recommend them so go to atp.aftershocks.com to learn more about the trex air and the trex titanium thank you very much to aftershocks for sponsoring our show next up was apple watch uh, this was, uh, it started out with, um, some new medical initiatives, uh, around, uh, kind of continuous heart rate, um, not full blown monitoring, but kind of like passive checks throughout the day for heart rate monitoring, um, that can do new things like, uh, attempt to detect if your heart rate is elevated when it shouldn't be, like if you're not exercising. Um, and they also announced a new heart study that they're starting that will, um, and it, it, that the, the goal of which is to detect things like it, like arrhythmias and uh, AFib. And this is this is a really big deal. This is exactly the kind of awesome thing that I think the the Jeff Williams led health initiatives uh, really get right. I really hope that this works out for them. I'm very glad they're doing this. They should, should they should be commended for doing this um, because this is potentially life-changing for a lot of people a lot of people so that's awesome well you have to opt into this the study though it's not i mean it'll be better when if it if everything works out i don't know if the, what the regulatory situation is but can they just like build this in so you don't have to know anything you just put your apple watch on and then one day you get some kind of notification that says hey uh we noticed something weird maybe you should contact somebody and you know whatever um versus now where you have to download this app sign up to be part of the study probably sign a bunch of disclaimer things or whatever um so it's good for people who already know that they might be at risk for this type of thing to have monitoring but no one as far as i understand this program is going to passively get the benefit of this program because it's still in the sort of you know experimental stage so it's a start it's a start yeah, and I'm pretty sure you'd have to opt in to to being mm-hmm. in the study and things mm-hmm. like that. But but they ha- like they have to download an app and everything. Yeah, but but like you know, Apple has been building a framework to do these things for some time now. So like that's yeah, yep. and to do it at, at quite immense scale too. So that that's why these are so important and why they're so impressive. Um, that you know, Apple's doing this at scale with pretty advanced resources at their at their fingertips here or at their wrist tips and uh and so it's <laughs> th- there actually is potential to do pretty significant things here 
Yeah, they were saying that, you know, I thought it was during this keynote that they said that, you know, a lot of medical studies are something like a thousand people, and this is potentially going to be like tens of thousands, if not more than that, which is really awesome. We also skipped a brief moment. Uh, what did you think of the introductory video for Apple Watch? This is not the cellular video, which comes later. Oh, yeah. Where they were have like the guy like reading his letter from his car crash and stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, yeah, my, my main complaint about that thing is that it was not clear to me whether the people in the video were actors or the actual people. Well, it's funny you bring that up. I wish I could, <laughs> it's like we planned this. Uh, friend of the show, Kyle Seth Gray, or Kyle's the Gray, who is a relay listener, and I, I think he listens to this show. I'm not sure. So if so, hi, Kyle. But um, but anyway, he's definitely a relay listener, and he was one of the people in the uh, in the video. He was the one on the bike, and uh, the, the stationary bike. And so that is a real person that I have met. And I have shaken his hand with my hand, and he is real. So, yeah, I don't. Th- maybe others were actors, but I'm pretty sure not. And and I feel like we saw something fly by that the guy in the elevator was also uh, a, a, re- a relay listener. It's always kind of weird to me when I mean they do this all the time, but they they enter a segment about a product, and especially with the Apple Watch, where the new one looks just like the old one, it takes a couple seconds to ramp up to say. They're just telling us how great their product, existing product is, which they tend not to do. Like there wasn't a big segment about how great the iPhone 7 is before the iPhone 8 part, right? But it's like, let me just tell you about, and it was mostly about watchOS 4 and people love their Apple Watch and sales are great, even though we're not going to tell you how many there are, but trust us, they're great. Uh, and and then the video. And then, of course, the new the new Apple Watch on top of that. But it was like, it was almost like, uh, again, a, a lot of time spent on something that is not the announcement of the new product but uh you know i don't i guess they feel like it's important to them to emphasize the fact that the watch is a success like in a way that they don't feel like they have to do for the phone i don't know that beats me but i thought the video was good and i think to, to come back to where where we were before i interrupted i i really think this this uh, apple heart study could be something extremely powerful and i'm i'm pleased to see them doing it this is another example of tim or whomever uh deciding that this is something that's important to apple or to them personally and then eventually apple and so they're they're making it happen and and really making some some stark positive change or hopefully we don't know yet but i i would assume that'll be the case and that's really awesome yeah so then after that uh unless there's something else we had here series three yeah exactly so series three which is uh with lte oh optionally with lte uh, that's a fair point fair point it's optionally with lte uh this is pretty exciting it sounds like it will be a completely separate of course connection to your particular cell phone carrier uh you will share however the same phone number with your iphone and there's been a little bit of chatter about how that's working technically behind the scenes but the 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 net effect is if you run out of the house and your phone is at home and you go driving somewhere else or running or what have you it, then if you get a phone call, your watch and your phone will both simultaneously ring and you can answer on either one and you can send text messages from either one, et cetera, et cetera, in a way that you can only do now if you're either connected to Wi-Fi in certain circumstances or connected via Bluetooth to your phone. And that's extremely cool. What's not cool is that at least in America, uh, it seems that all the cell phone carriers are go- or at least anyone who's talked about it yet is saying it's going to be $10 a month for a watch, which I think is preposterous. I don't know what it is. I don't know why I came to this conclusion. Because the watch is small and you pay more money for big things. No. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Caveman size uh, comparison. Okay. 
I, I know that we are spoiled by modern cellular plans being amazing, but it's an entirely separate cellular data device that is only $10 a month to have on your plan. That's a good deal. No, it's not. It's not more data. They're selling you air, like what, like Woody Allen's father in that movie that I can't remember. They're just sell, like they're not giving you more data. It, do, it doesn't cost them that much more money to have another device on their network. <sighs> uh, you know, so like it, it's trust me, they're making a huge amount of profit at ten, at an additional ten dollars. No, I know, but like, but that is a very you know compared to the industry and what they do and what we've always paid for to have an entirely separately activated device for ten dollars a month is pretty good i disagree Uh, it's the same it's the same it's the same phone number i mean here's the problem the problem with all this stuff is that it's not we don't know what we should actually be paying for these things because so many telecom companies have not a monopoly but you have one or two reasonable choices the competition is not strong in this industry oh sure regulation is not you know so we don't know what this stuff would actually be worth with competition. And we do know that in other parts of the world, you get more data and faster speeds for less money. So the general frustration with carriers and telecom in the U.S. underlies everything. And so it's hard to say, you know, what you're saying, your argument you have, Marco, is the relative thing. Like thing, thing X costs this amount and thing Y is cost, costs way less proportionally. You know, I'm getting another device and it's only $10. But it just feels like, it feels like the bad, uh, the the doomsday scenarios of the net neutrality things, where it's like every new thing you want to have, they can charge you money for. The carriers ha- have always been there and remain there, and now it's like, well, great, everything's going to have a cell connection, and I have to get uh, not nickel and dimed, but uh, fived and tenned for every single one of these new <laughs> items that I add. It's, it's untenable after a certain point, it's, especially if it doesn't come with more data, right? Especially if it doesn't. So I, I, you know, we all hate carriers, and we wish they did a better job. At this point. When the number of devices starts going up like this, like we fast forward 10, 15 years and everybody in the family who is an adolescent or adult has a, a watch, uh, a, a phone, a tablet, and not a laptop because Apple will never add cellular to it because they're evil. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of damn devices. And you start saying, can I just pay a huge amount of money for my whole family and just be like a flat rate for a huge amount of data and not have to get additional money every time, you know, someone adds a new device, but... We're far from that. So anyway, it's not that bad. Ten dollars seems reasonable for the kind of people who are going to buy an Apple Watch with cellular, which is already a pretty expensive product as a companion to their already expensive phone. So Apple's right on the money in terms of uh, you know who, who this product is for and what they're willing to pay. And we'll, we'll get to more of that later when we start getting into the phones. But uh, you know, it it looks good. I agree with you, Marco, that getting this for free and John as well, but but Marco, I think you were I think you thought I wanted this for free. I don't. I don't think that that a free additional connection to, in my case, AT&T's network is reasonable. I don't think that at all. This is different, for example, than tethering, where tethering is still only one connection to AT&T. And how I choose to blow through my data, to me, should be my choice. And I found it completely egregious when tethering was an additional fee years ago, because it's still only one connection, and it's still just my data. And in fact, in some ways, they should encourage tethering, because then I'm going to blow through my data even quicker, and then hypothetically pay them even more money. This is different in that I do think it should cost a non-zero amount of money to have an Apple Watch connected to your cell phone plan. The thing that bothers me, though, is that 
I don't think $10 a month is a reasonable cost. I think it should be half that. Now, how did I come to that conclusion? No freaking clue. I think it's what John alluded to earlier. The watch is physically small. The iPad is physically big. It should be less than the iPad. And I concede that really, if you put that on paper, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. Nope. But it it, it just <laughs> seems it just seems bonkers to me that something that really shouldn't necessarily be drawing that much data and even if it was it's still the same bucket of data it's not like i'm getting more data for it i just don't think that ten dollars a month is reasonable i think five would have been the right answer and i wouldn't have blinked an eye if it was five dollars a month but for ten dollars a month that's making me go i think i want cellular but i'm not so sure and uh, i don't know you want cellular forget it okay before i set you on fire this kind of like micro price anger is why app developers can't charge money for apps but anyway be, let's not do that now well you're and, right and actually ten, no, no, ten no, no, dollars no. a month they were, they were five dollars <laughs> a month even is great for apps anyway like here's the thing They're, the cost of this the cost of this device to the carriers is, is network capacity right because every device that is communicating one of those towers adds right but in the grand scheme of things, even with Apple's, we have no idea how many they're selling. Thing We know roughly how many they're selling in proportion to the number of cell phones that are on a cell network at any given time, and it is minuscule. So there is a capacity increase for, for connecting these watches, but it is small, and all pricing of cell data plans is in the realm of whatever whatever carriers make up and or collude with each other for. There is no market pressure to lower prices because there are so few people and the only one who's hungry is always like the one with the terrible network. I think it was that Sprint these days or whatever, or T-Mobile, right? <laughs> um, and even they, you know, pull prices essentially out of thin air. So it's hard for us to know how much this stuff is worth, uh, you know, other than, like I said, looking at the rest of the world and realizing we don't have it that great here. So I don't know. Um, but anyway, if you're like, if you're remotely on the fence, get the cellular one. Like, don't, why would you even bother getting one of these phones? Not, like, and not get the cellular unless you, if you were already looking at a series two and you'd never had any interest in cellular, then, you know, get the series three that cellular. But if you Agreed. thought I would really love to have a cellular thing, but that $10 a month is, you know, I mean, you, you know, just drop one of your streaming subscriptions. Like this is an expensive product for, for your expensive phone. Well, but I might add a screen, a streaming subscription because of stupid Apple music, which we'll get to in a minute, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's yeah. cellular on your wrist. That's mm. awesome. Pay the 10 bucks. Oh, it is awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. What, like, even for this year, even for this day and age, even for the wonderful technology that we have, that is still amazing. Like, how is, how, you know, this is like the Louis C.K., like, you know, sitting in a chair in the sky oh, thing. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. How is this not amazing? <laughs> and, like, you know, people are like, I, I've seen some of the comments are like, it's just a watch. No, it's not just a watch. It's a tiny little computer that lives on your wrist and can talk to anywhere in the world without any phone attached to it now. Like, that's incredible. That is but I can, awesome. Can I, can I run? Can I run Overcast on it? Because that's really what I care about. No, I'm like, Amen, brother. But that's but that's a, that's a software limitation. That that is not a hardware like. And we'll get to that. I mean, so okay, let's let's talk about that now. So you know, cellular on the watch. What is it actually good for? And the answer so far is you know the basics of. Lots of times we have talked about, and other people have talked about. You know, do you bring your phone with you with the watch? And when when the Apple would add features like standalone music playback uh, from the watch, like to a Bluetooth headset, um, or when they talked about adding SOS um, earlier this summer, we would, you know, a lot of us would would ask ourselves, like, 
why would I not have my phone with me? Because a lot of people, like, even when they go out for exercising, they still bring their phone with them just in case there's an emergency or somebody has to reach them or they need help or whatever else. Yep. Um, so there's a, there's a clear reason for lots of people who, who would otherwise take just the watch with them somewhere. I would love to do that, but haven't been doing that, not because of anything about like the watch's hardware or software, but because it just didn't have cellular itself, which I guess is hardware, but ignore that for a second. <laughs> so so like that, was, that was holding back a lot of people. And so I mentioned last week, like in our predictions episode, like, and, and we had already heard the rumors last week about the cellular watch, so, because that was from the HomePod leak. But, uh, you know, we had... We, we I discussed like you know the things I want in the watch are for it to be a, a, a smarter and nicer looking timepiece. Uh, but what most people use the watch for is exercise and notifications, and that seems to be driving the sales. So what Apple's doing here is very smart in that way. It's it looks like they've done zero to make it a nicer looking, better, smarter timepiece. Uh, but it but this is a massive jump forward for making it an exercise and notifications device because now. There are significant times when people would want to bring just the watch with them. That, and, and those are times for which people are buying or want to buy the Apple Watch. So that's exercise, that's like, you know, going on the beach, that is, you know, certain types of travel and activities. Let's be honest, it's mostly exercise, but that's a big thing. Like a lot of runners, you know, want to run without having a phone strapped in some weird spot on their body or anything like that. Yep. It's a huge market. So this is awesome for that. Now, going beyond the, like, you know, phone call in an emergency scenario, I think one of the other things, and, and they mentioned the Apple Music streaming. That's cool. You know, that, that should be fine. I, I'm a little concerned about how that will affect battery life, but, you know, it'll, it's, pro- it's probably... Well, uh, you're underplaying that? I think that's, like, the most important thing because when you take it when you're running, I think a lot of people bring their phones with them. They say, oh, it's in case I fall down and need to call somebody, but really, they want to play their music from it. And, yeah, you can play music from your watch now, but it's a pain in the butt. I think streaming music plus AirPods is, like, the killer app that's going to sell mm-hmm. cellular for people. You're going to tell them, oh, I can make phone calls, and that will make me feel better. But I think it is all about 40 million songs on your wrist and AirPods. Like, that is the ultimate, I want to run and listen to stuff. And that's why I think it should work with Spotify and all the other services. I have no idea if it does. I hope it's not constrained to Apple Music. And I agree with your concerns about the battery life and the streaming. But that is the killer. And that's, that's they show that in the ad. Of like, look at me. I got AirPods and I got wrists. It's the, the lightest way, way to listen to all the music in the world while you do some activity while it also tracks your workout and your pulse and everything that that i think is the is the total package on this yeah that's exactly right and that's why a minute ago i alluded to you know i might need to get an apple music music subscription i am a diehard spotify kind of guy i love spotify for reasons that are not interesting for right now but the thought of being able to go for a run, like everything Marco just said, to be able to go for a run with just my AirPods and my watch and not have to worry about dropping my phone, but more importantly, just carrying my darn phone. That sounds amazing. And if I, you know, twist my ankle or something like that, that I can call for help and, and get help from Aaron or whomever, that's amazing. And that is what I want. But Casey, all this amazingness, including having all the music of the in the world accessible via voice control on a, your little wrist computer that you can wear anywhere and have cellular coverage, is not worth twenty bucks a month, is it? It's not worth twenty bucks a month. He's not complaining about the price of the phone <laughs> note. He's complaining about the price of the carrier plan I know. that he feels like he's already paying for. 
Especially if he doesn't bring his phone, he's not having extra network capacity. All right. No, but anyway, but but the problem though, but leaving all <laughs> even all my whining convetching aside about the the price of the cellular part, you know, uh, it could be that I'm actually in ten dollars to your point, Marco, ten dollars for the cellular, ten dollars for Apple Music, but and that's monthly, which adds up real fast. But all of this really comes down to, however, the thing that I most enjoy listening to when I go for a run is actually podcasts and the particular podcast client catcher whatever of choice that i enjoy happens to be overcast and Mm -hmm. all i want in the world now is to be able to leave my phone in my house take my watch and my airpods and listen to overcast from anywhere that would be nice tell me marco that you're going to make this happen i'm trying but i don't think i'm getting anywhere anytime soon um I know. I'll, I know. I'll leave it at that because I'm literally not getting anywhere yet. But if, <laughs> I, I am trying. I, I told you, you know, I said when I removed that feature, I'm going to try to bring it back. I am trying to bring it back, but so far I haven't. Uh, but we, I'm not going to stop trying. In fact, this is now lit a new fire under my butt because I really, really want this to be a thing that people can do, that I can do also. Um, you know why that is, by the way? Because I know why that is. And it has nothing to do with me or any of your customers. It has to do with your newfound obsession. And you don't want to bring your phone with you while you're riding your bike either, do you? Nope, sure don't. Shouldn't be listening to podcasts while you ride your bike. No, I actually I actually don't. <laughs> I, I more have been wanting this on dog walks, honestly. Biking, I'm still... And even though I oh, don't... fair enough, fair Even enough. though I'm not biking on the street, I'm biking on a trail... But even on the trail, I don't want to listen to things. I'm I'm listening to the world around me because I'm scared out of my mind. But anyway, um, so also there are other reasons to want a cellular watch. Um, so I thought of a couple. So obviously there's a lot of app potential here. The watch so far has been a pretty mediocre app platform, but this changes things quite a bit for a lot of different types of apps. So this could be a big thing. Right now, a lot of a lot of the watch has been held back by the fact that like the apps on the watch are pretty slow compared to doing the same thing on your phone. But if now more people have more reason to not have their phone with them at all, and all of a sudden the watch is all they have with them, that opens up new potential for apps, a new demand for apps. I also thought about things like, you know, so they mentioned in the keynote that if you leave your phone at home and if you bring just your watch with you, your, just your new Series 3 with LTE, uh, that updates your location for find, for find friends tracking. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was really um, cool. Which is not only awesome for, like, exercisers and things, um, but also I thought, like, what if you wanted to track locations of your children and you didn't want to give them a phone, but you maybe could give them an Apple Watch with LTE? Like, I know this is this is an awfully over-engineered solution to this problem but i think that's actually that's a potential use i thought of here um yeah, give your children 300 dollar watches you know i just bought a gps tracker for my dog and it was much cheaper so consider that if you want to track your children it won't always be 300 dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and that's less than a phone by the way the apple one will always be three well well right, yeah. 190, 199 <laughs> the apple one get- and ten dollars a month so that kills it for casey all right anyway so, um, so like, I, I do think this is um, pretty remarkable. And, and they did BS the size increase a little bit. Um, but oh, I yeah, noticed that, that was today. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great <laughs> judo there where the case, the case is, is the same exactly thickness. the same size. I felt like they, they should have stopped there. They shouldn't, but they felt like they need to be honest. And they said, technically speaking, the little thing that bumps out of the case is tiny. 
tiny bit bigger, but the case. They could have just said the case is the same size and left it. Because honestly, so it is bigger by a small amount, and I bet nobody would notice. But it, because they're Apple, they have to cover yeah. their butts. It, wasn't it like a quarter millimeter? Like that, That's a pretty small difference. Yeah, two, two sheets of paper, they said. It was almost nothing. But to be fair, <laughs> if like Samsung had pulled something like this, we would be yeah, all over. Well, yeah. nobody would pay attention. No, because no, no one pay attention, would. but because yeah. Apple, someone would say, I put them next to each other, and you could see two pieces of paper, <laughs> an extra thickness. Like, <laughs> no, but it is. I mean, it, it is kind of BS. Though, like, just call it like you see it, and say, yeah. "Oh, we made it infinitesimally smaller or bigger." The most amazing thing I think I always th- have to remind myself of this when I look at the Apple Watch is that every time they talk about this, like, "Oh, you know, we we've, essentially they've kept the watch the same size for many generations, it's gotten a little bit thicker over time because the Series Two is thicker than the than the original Series Zero, and this is thicker still, so fine." But in general, it's the little Airstream trailer with the bulge on the bottom. Then I remember it comes in two sizes, and I think, how the hell does the smaller one work? They have to fit all the same stuff in there. The only thing that is smaller is the screen, so you can get a slightly smaller battery because you have a slightly smaller screen, but everything else can't be doesn't shrink in power usage. It's not like, oh, the small <laughs> one has a cell radio that uses less power. They, if they had a cell radio that used less power, they would use it in both of them. So the small one is the miracle, and maybe that also means the small one doesn't get as good battery life which is a bummer but you well know, it, it, that's always been the case the small one has always gotten noticeably worse battery life i know but i mean like like does it scale linearly because now they add lte right, oh right. it's still the same all day battery life blah blah, blah. Does, is the small one even worse now because there's not, how the battery must be so tiny in there and I don't, I don't know what the minimum battery size is to run any kind of cell radio to transmit to a radio tower that is potentially far away from you anyway uh yeah, I, I'm reminded of that looking at the, the models. and Oh, yeah, they make one that's, like, way smaller. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, what, size, what size does Tina have? I think she has a small one. So, yeah, it's, it's a thing. She's going to get one of these. Uh, with LTE? Yeah. Are you going to grumble about paying $10 a month? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not, not going to grumble. I'm encouraging her to get it. She, she uses it. She uses it for the, uh, the intended purpose as shown in all of Apple's ads, so... As long as they don't make a Pokemon Go app for it, then everything will be fine. <laughs> you know, I wonder. Um, I've heard through through you know various reporting that that the thing just the the series three just feels a heck of a lot quicker, like opening apps and things like that. I I kind of wonder, and and something Marco said earlier made me think of this. If it doesn't have to like. So let's say, for example, I'm using Lyft for the first time in forever, and I try to do it on my watch for whatever silly reason. It has to, if I understand things correctly anyway, it has to wake up the Lyft app on my phone, or at the very least, wake up the phone and say, hey, I'd like to use your internet connection. But something has to get woken up on the phone, and it needs to communicate with the phone, blah, blah, blah. Um, I wonder if not only, obviously, the processor is so much faster on the Series 3, but I wonder if just having its own connection to the rest of the world on these LTE models will also dramatically increase and improve uh, performance and and just make it feel a lot snappier, even leaving aside the, the tremendous gains in the processor. Yeah, I mean, because you know, with the watch, like one of the reasons why the the original watch was so unbearably slow is that the whole UI of apps was being driven effectively by the phone, like remotely over the Bluetooth connection. So like every tap was basically going back and forth with with the Bluetooth to the phone, um, and so everything they've done to make the watch more independent in both hardware and software has had a noticeable increase of performance and responsiveness because anything you're doing to reduce those round trips is good. Now the the current watch the series one and two um they were pretty fast you know relative to the first one the series zero um and i I have a rant here in the second about these names but um 
you know, they could go over Wi-Fi if they if they wanted to, um, but they would they would frequently default to Bluetooth to, to the parent phone instead of making their own Wi-Fi connection for I think just power efficiency reasons. That Wi-Fi used a lot of power, so it was kind of like a last resort. The phone or the watch would attempt to use Bluetooth for as much as it could. Um, and they they made a few comments about the W two indicating that it is. Uh, not only much faster, but much more power efficient for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth than the W1. So I'm hoping that the watch will be more aggressive at using its Wi-Fi and then when you're out using its cellular um, instead of just like trying Bluetooth first for everything to save power because that will make lots of things better. If, for instance, I wanted to bring Overcast back to the watch, one of the big problems there was file transfer speeds. And that's because most of the time it was going over Bluetooth. Even when the devices would be plugged in, they would still often use Bluetooth to transfer the files. That makes no sense to me. Um, but they would. And and there was no way for me as a developer to say, look, this is a big file. Please, for the love of God, transfer it over Wi-Fi. The user is literally waiting for it right now, and it's not being transferred over Wi-Fi. Like, there's no way for me to do that in the API. Um, so I'm hoping this will help push them in that direction of having these new chips. Now, before I forget about the naming here, the first watch was called Apple Watch. The second watch was called Series 1 and 2. <laughs> a zero a zero index it's great for programmers yeah right oh and so is the fourth watch as they're introducing three now because uh, series one and two had the same guts but series two was waterproofed basically and it, it, but it was like the same chip inside like this most of the same internals so series it was really like series one and series one waterproof like that, that that's what they probably should have called that um actually they could they should have called them both series two and just retcon the first one series one but instead we have series zero unofficially called we have the first one then we have series one and two and three now but series two was just discontinued because the new premium model is series three so now we have series one and series three now the casual buyer will look at that and think series one is two years old when in fact it's only one year old and it's not two generations back. It's one generation back. And if you have an original Apple Watch and you're thinking about upgrading, you're going to think the Series 1 is the one you have. So it's a very, very confusing name now. Not the first confusing name no, uh, in this uh, event, uh, yeah, but a Apple, very Apple's confusing not the best name. At naming. <laughs> the, the best thing is that the Series 3 also comes without an LTE. So it's like, oh, Series 3 is the one with cellular. Like, well, yeah, right. sort of. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, this, <laughs> these are just terrible names. Like, Yeah, well, the good uh, thing is they all look the same. <laughs> like, from people, when they're all lined up on the table, they all look the same. So I think the the stigma of getting the lesser thing, it's like, well, they all look the same to me. Like, they have a, I think on Apple's website or something, it has a big like, comparison thing. Like, what do you want out of your watch? Do, do you care about cellular or do you not? Do you care about waterproofing or not? Do you care about GPS or do you not? Do you care about a red dot on the on the crown, or do you not? By the way, can we talk about the red dot for a second? Now, <sighs> I I love watches. Mm-hmm. I love red. I even love red watches, uh, or red on watches, rather. I have a watch with red accents. It's wonderful. I do not think this red dot looks good on any color watch except maybe the white edition. On every single... And I haven't seen them in person yet, but in all the press photos and all the shop photos... Uh, I do not think this looks good. And again, I love red. Everything I own is red. I love watches. I love red on watches. This does not work for me. I think it works as long as the, all the rest of the colors are neutral. Like if it's based, that's why you like the white one. Like you just said, everything is neutral and the only accent of color is the red. I mean, it doesn't clash. I think it looks fine. It looks okay. I don't mind it. 
Uh, but it really does limit your aesthetic choices when you've got this stupid red dot that you can't get rid of. I mean, maybe, maybe it is changeable. I don't know. Did they do this before with the edition where you have different crown colors when you bought the, the Hermes yes. thing? Well, stuff the like that. Hermes was always, I think that was always black, but, the, but, um, with the original gold edition line that would have, there, there was like, if you bought the fancy little red one, that would have the red dot. Also, um, Tim Cook was spotted wearing a watch with a red, wearing a regular steel watch with a red dot on his crown at, at one of the, one of the early events for the Apple watch. So it was kind of like, Ooh, he gets the special one with the red dot and even at the time i was like oh i want that but now that that's offered i'm like Ooh, i think I, mm. I, I don't know like yeah. i don't think it looks good it, it, maybe maybe it'll look better in person but in the pictures on the apple website it does not look good right, but, but it limits your choices because if you say you have a color scheme that clashes with red you like you you have a particular band that you want or like a, a body color like i want the gold aluminum with this color band but the red clashes with it so it's not it's not great. Also, I was during the presentation. I was like, "Did they get rid of the stainless? Because that's the one that I like the best. That's the one that I have. Yeah, me too. I like that look the best. I don't like the aluminum at all. It's still there. Um, they have limited choices. I think I saw you can only get it with the Milanese or with the white sport. But it's like whatever. The band they didn't change the size. Of, they didn't change the band compatibility. So if I was to get one of these, which I'm not, I would just get the stainless at tremendous expense and then not use the white things and use one of my other straps with it. <laughs> I, I do not dig the red dot at all. I think it's really terrible. And and I don't know, there there's a store online, uh, watchdots.com, and they are not a sponsor. I have no <laughs> idea if their product is any good or not. However, I will seriously consider, I, I'm, I'm not kidding, I, it, I will consider putting a sticker over it. Something like completely, you know, yeah, yeah, it's muted and neutral. It's like, so you can tell you have the fancy one. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. But, um... But yeah, so now, see, Marco, now I'm in, I'm in $10 a month for the stupid cell, cellular and then $10 a month potentially for Apple Music because it won't work with Spotify the way I want. <laughs> and then $10 once for the stupid watch dot. I can't even get this out yeah. with a straight face. Yeah, this, you're, you're not selling this. <laughs> so so before, before we leave the topic of the watch, which we should, um, I was trying to remember, uh, like way back when we first talked about the watch, I don't remember if it was like, the, what after it was announced, it must have been after it was announced because before we had just had all sorts of wild ideas. But after the the watch was announced, uh, talking about it on one of the shows, and I remember being pretty vehement about the fact that even though what you see here is a watch that does the things that Apple says it does, this thing is going to have cellular. It's only a matter of time. And I thought I said by the fourth watch, maybe it will have cellular, but maybe I'm, I'm misremembering. But either way, like when the watch was introduced it was so clear that this thing is going to have cellular and live on its own. And the only reason it doesn't is because they literally could not do that. And I think they did it on a pretty, pretty good schedule. Like it hasn't been that long since the watch reduced and they already got cellular into it. And they did that by doing something that we had previously described as very on Apple like, which is don't actually make it thinner year after year. Don't actually change the case. Keep everything gigantic, you know, Airstream trail on your wrist and reap the benefits of that by saying, if we keep it the same size, we can get to where we know we're going, which is cell access on our wrist, right? We can get there faster. If they could have shrunk it and kept similar functionality, but instead of shrinking it, what they did is let's add battery life, let's add GPS, let's add LTE. Now, finally, in a couple years, in the next major revision, now they can shrink because there's probably not that much more stuff they're going to stick in there, like, you know, in terms of tech-wise, maybe some cameras, right? And maybe better microphones and speakers. But 
Now, advancements in technologies don't have to be spent entirely on adding important features because they finally got the feature set that the watch always wanted to have. It is, you know, it's kind of like when the, the iPod left the nest and no longer needed to be connected to your Mac to, like, initialize <laughs> it or whatever. I think the phone, same thing. Didn't you have to hook up the phone to your Mac in the beginning, too? Like, all these devices want to be free of the tethers of their larger devices, and the watch is finally free. It is no longer, you know, I mean, I guess it's still tied to your phone's cell plan, but... It is as free as it can be in the world. You can leave your phone at home, go out with your watch, and it does all the magic things that we always wanted it to do. So really quick before we move off, Marco, are you going to buy one? And if so, is it going to be pretty much exclusively for testing, or do you expect to use it from time to time? Both. I, I use the watch now fairly regularly, but I, I'm not I'm not wearing it all day every day. I, I prefer to take it when I'm, as I said earlier, when I'm going on dog walks, or when I'm biking, um, I like to I like to at least track my distance, um, you know, or, and at least use it as a remote control for uh, the Overcast app on my phone. Even though I can't do local playback very well yet, yeah. So, uh, so I, I'm I am going to buy this because I think I want to see what I can do as a developer with 3G on the watch or LTE, excuse me, with LTE on the watch. Okay, so which one do you think you'll get? Um, I'm probably going to get steel, um, and since I've been getting the polished steel for the last. Uh, two watches i think maybe this time i'll go um black dlc steel oh you fancy that's one we all wanted way back when the first one came out isn't it Mm -hmm. and then because i already have the black bracelet i bought the bracelet separately um and i I, and i like the way the black bracelet looked with the contrast of the steel before but now that i become more of a watch nerd the miss the metal mismatch bothers me um, and I've been wearing it more on the rainbow the rainbow sport band anyway so um it's less of a problem but um i i want to try the black this time because I, I do like, like the, the link bracelet that, that Apple makes is one of the best link bracelets in the world ever. Like there, it doesn't have micro adjustment, which is unfortunate. But besides that one shortcoming, it's amazing. Like it's a really, really good bracelet. Uh, so I, I wouldn't mind getting more usage out of it. Fair enough. John, what's your plan? Uh, I'm not getting one because I never wear my watch, which is a shame. I would really like to have one. It seems cool, but no. Well then, you because I wouldn't wear it because I would love to be able to have a thing that's on my wrist that you know I wear I wear my Apple Watch like three times a year like when I'm traveling when I'm walking around city streets at WWC when I'm on vacation in London and for those times it's fun to do it but that the rest of the year I don't wear it it sits on top of my dresser and if I got this new one I would wear it the same amount of time and and it would be cool to have cell access on my wrist but. Maybe, maybe I could be convinced if, if Overcast works on it. But like, but I don't, I don't, I don't know what the context is. Like, I wouldn't, I would still bring my phone with me to work. Even you know, anyway, it's expensive. I'm not going to get it because <laughs> I, because I, the only one I want is the six hundred dollar steel one, and it's like, eesh. And I would say too, like you know, for anybody who you know, like you, might be waiting for Overcast before they get one, or might be buying one hoping for Overcast to work <laughs> don't well. Don't hold on your it. breath. Yeah, I would say like because I have not made any progress on that front yet uh i can't tell you when i'll be able to re-add that feature or even if i'll ever be able to re-add that feature so don't make this decision for overcast uh make this make this decision for other reasons now and if down the road overcast does end up getting the support again by all means you know reconsider it then but you know that might be the next watch i don't even know i don't know when that's, when that's going to happen i would absolutely love to get the gray ceramic case 
with the gray black sports band, but at $1,300, there's no no freaking way that's happening. So instead I will be getting the, I'm pretty sure I'm going to leave behind the space gray, even though I love it, but I want to have the ability to use basically any other color um, band. So uh, instead, I believe I'm going to get the uh, the aluminum, which does not bother me at all. Uh, the aluminum one with what is it like the fog white or something along those lines. Um, basically, the default cellular uh, sports whatever you know, aluminum watch, and I will be getting one of those. Erin will likely be getting uh, the same thing, but I don't think she's going to want anything to do with cellular. Um, particularly once I explained to her it is a non-zero cost per month, even a dollar, she'd probably be like, "Oh, I don't need that." Um, but yeah, that is my plan. So I will be waking up at three in the morning because the world has to revolve <laughs> around California. And I'll be waking up at three in the morning to place my order for my two new Apple watches. And that is just the beginning of me going broke this year. <laughs> I will say also, though, if it was my primary watch that I wore most of or all of every day, that white ceramic, I still think, is one of the best looking options in the in the whole lineup, if not the best looking option. And especially if you're going to get the red dot, I I would totally splurge for the white ceramic if it was my primary watch. That's a lot of money. Gosh, is that a lot of money? It is. It's stupid. But that's how watches work. When you like the way yeah. something looks, you're like, yes, take, set, set this money on fire. I need to have that on my wrist. <laughs> yeah, like, pass, so thanks. if you don't miss the extra money, the white ceramic is a pretty awesome option. Yeah, I don't know. $400 for the, uh, or I guess it would be 430 with the LTE. I don't have it in front of me. Something like that, though. Uh, yeah, 430 So, uh, yeah, the silver aluminum case with fog sport band is what I intend to get. We are sponsored this week by Backblaze, unlimited native online backup for Mac and PC. Get a 15-day free trial at backblaze.com slash ATP. Now look, cloud backup's been in the news recently. We've been talking about it recently. The only cloud backup service that I can recommend is Backblaze. Backblaze is truly unlimited space. It has a wonderful native client for the Mac and for PC. It isn't some weird Java thing. They really respect the platform. They know their platform. And you can try it for yourself with no credit card required with a no-risk free 15-day trial. With Backblaze, you get access to all of your backed-up data through their website or through their iOS and Android apps. Let's say you have Backblaze on your computer and you forgot a file at home while you're traveling. You can actually pull up your phone and just restore that file to your phone and view it right there. Um, They also offer obviously the website for restoring. Uh, They also have a wonderful return by mail feature where you can have them overnight you a hard drive with your data on it. And if you just return the hard drive within a month, they don't charge you for it, which is pretty cool. Uh, Backblaze is trusted by tons of people. They have over 10 billion files that they've restored. They're storing over 200 petabytes of data. I think they buy a lot of hard drives. Uh, And it is really if if you're going to have cloud backup, which I highly suggest you do, because local backups like Time Machine or Disk Clones, those are good too. You should have those too. But a internet backup allows you to have off-site backups. So if something happens to your home where all of your local disk clones are, that could wipe them out too. But with Backblaze, you'd be covered from things like fire, floods, thefts, power surges, things that might damage any, any backup you have at your computer. I highly recommend that you have a cloud backup, and Backblaze is my favorite one, the best one. Check it out today, backblaze.com slash ATP to get a free 15-day trial and see for yourself why I love it so much. Once again, backblaze.com slash ATP. Thank you so much to Backblaze for sponsoring our show once again. Now, uh, we should move on to Apple TV 
There's new Apple TV, 4K with HDR. There's still two tor- storage tiers. The remote, which uh, I won't mention out loud so I don't get flamed, uh, really isn't that bad, is not changed with the exception of a raised uh, loop around the menu button. Uh, other than that, it's all basically <laughs> the same old stuff. No USB-C uh. ports. I don't think any of us really care that much so let's move on i cannot I believe like i care of all okay so similar to like you know when i when I said earlier like how like you know the one thing people want in an apple retail store is like faster genius appointments and stuff like the one thing we want with the new apple tv that's not true is not a all better of us. remote so, not like all of us. a redesigned remote because this remote is terrible and i would also say uh i think high on the list of what people would want with the apple tv it would be uh, lower entry price and we got neither of those. We got the most insulting part is that they did change the remote. So like they made a change at all, but it appears that it's only different in that they added a white circle around the menu button. That it, I, maybe there's other internal changes. I don't think anybody knows yet. I hope there's more to it than that, but it is still a small skinny rectangle that is symmetrical in most ways that you will still fall off your couch cushion because it has a smooth back. It will still slip between your couch cushion and get lost because it's tiny and thin. It is still too small for good ergonomics. It still relies on an imprecise, annoyingly accidentally inputted touchpad. It is still hard to tell which way is up in the dark. Um, And I mean, it's just like, I, I don't understand how the people in charge at Apple could go through the trouble of changing the Apple TV at all, look at that remote, and decide, this is fine. We don't have to change this. Like, are they listening to anybody? To any customers? Like, does what we think matter at all? Have they lost their sense of taste for shipping that in the first place? And then, two years later, or whatever, however long it's been, shipping it almost identically again? I was reminded of when you when you mentioned uh, as talking about the remote you started talking about the new remote where you're going to we're going to get as if it was you know a done deal and it was just a question of what the new remote would be like and i was feeling particularly snarky and i laughed and i said wait a second you think there's going to be a new remote i'm so upset to have been right because honestly i thought there was going to be one too but i was in a snarky mood of being like oh you think they're going to change the remote we were all so confident it's like how could they not change it like you said how could how could they not what it doesn't need that much we need 4k right uh you know uh, update the hardware they did gig ethernet like that was yeah. that was another big one in terms of hardware like you got to do that it's um, about time it's 2017 then, i mean come right. on <laughs> right and we're then, celebrating that they finally upgraded the 10 100 port <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and then and then uh, the new remote was it was that the only device in history that had a USB-C port and a 10 100 ethernet port <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> yeah but but like yeah it just i, I don't they didn't have time to redo the remote so all they could do was it's this is basically the equivalent of the little bump in the iMac puck mouse where it's like well if we're, pro- we're going to design a new mouse eventually and in 2001 everyone will get an apology mouse at the Macworld Expo <laughs> but in the meantime is there something we can do for the existing mouse to make it so that people can tell which end is up how about we put a little divot uh, a little divot in the button and so this is like I don't even know having not seen one of these in person does is the white ring even something that you can feel? Never mind that feeling I'm around pretty the sure remote. It is. Feeling yeah, around I'm... the remote is death because if you accidentally swipe the touchpad, then you have to remember the correct incantation to not cause the <laughs> playhead to start playing in that position. Or you can just like not touch it and put it down. And say don't touch it; it'll go away eventually, and it won't accept my input. <sighs> I hate that remote so much, and they need to fix it, and it's terrible. 
Honestly, I, don't, I, I, I want to see Apple with new industrial design leadership. Oh, God. Here we go. I want to see someone else designing these things. The current team is out of ideas and is prioritizing things that I don't think are fully in line with what customers actually want. Put someone else on these kinds of decisions because this needs editing. This needs new leadership. Nobody should look at that remote and say, that's so good. We should ship another one. I I don't agree at all. So I, I've blown all credibility by by somewhat seriously whining about a $10 a month fee. But I don't – the things that, that the three of us care about are not the things that most people care about. And I – I personally don't really have a problem with the remote. Do I think it's stellar? No, I don't. Do I think it's amazing? No, I don't. Have I somehow stumbled into asking and answering my own questions? Yes, I have. So I got to get <laughs> off this treadmill. But, but I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to say you're wrong by any means. I'm not saying that this is a shining example of good design, but it's functional and it works just fine for me. And sometimes <laughs> I think it's upside. It, well, it's a, it's, it's a low bar. It's a low bar. Like it should be better than it is. That's what it we're should saying. be. Yes. Like it, yes. it looks, it, it, it looks should. really good. Right. Uh, but that's the only real thing it's got going for it. It's a bad remote. Right. And we all have bad remotes in our life. And more importantly than it being a bad remote, I think like the, the most important thing about this remote is that it's difficult for people to use. Like forget about, tech nerds people listening to tech podcasts people who are like you know uh apple enthusiasts who've been following the company forever who care about the industrial design and everything you give this remote to anybody any plain old person off the street anybody and it is difficult for them to use successfully they have accidental inputs they it's hard for them to swipe upward and right and left with their thumbs it's hard to tell what's activated on the screen it's not an easy remote to use in many ways, the five-way was easier, even though it had a stupid circle that made it harder to tell when you were hitting up and down and left and right. And all of these things, all remotes are difficult to use. You've seen anybody using any kind of remote are difficult to use, but this remote in particular, I feel like, does not have good usability in the old-fashioned sense of the world in terms of how successful are people, how confident are they when using it, or do they feel like it's a, it's a thing that they have to be careful touching because something could go wrong? I think people like us, are use this remote better than most people because we know all the nuances of how it works we know how we have to approach it and how to work it we have lots of experience swiping our fingers on things because we do it all day on our magic mice and on our ios devices using our sophisticated gestures instead of just you know the multitasking gestures and swiping from edge and all sorts of things that regular people don't know how to do because they don't care about this stuff that much so i think the this remote is more usable to us we're just complaining about it more because we're picky and we want more of Apple. I just think this is this is a this remote it falls down in in all ways as a, a, a for, to for, for what it's actually supposed to do, and because we you know we in this podcast and we want Apple to be you know the best at everything. I feel like you get it wrong a couple times, fine, learn from your mistakes, revise, do better. This was their chance to do better after a very long break, and they put a ring around the menu button, and so everyone is. Everyone is angry, and I think uh, justifiably so. But uh, you know, there's, there's always—I was going to say there's always next year, but there's always three years from now. <laughs> what annoys me so much about the Apple TV is is not that it's worse than the competition. The sad thing is that it's better than the competition, but the but it really 
it, it could be so much better than it is. It has always been an afterthought. It has always been the lowest of low priorities over sim- over things like the Mac Mini, I guess. But like, it, it it could be so much better, and it's just so mediocre. And it seems like every time they do something new to it, either hardware or software, it's just you know two steps forward, one step back. It's just it, things about it are so frustrating and. We're all. I think all three of us are heavy users of the Apple TV. Mm-hmm. For for us, it is our only TV video source. The only things we ever do on our TV are Apple TV or the Switch. That's it. I just want this product to be so much better than it is, and I don't think my demands are that high for what I expect from a good product in this area. And it just it fails to meet them so often, and it's very frustrating. So a couple more cookies before I move off of this because we do need to move off. Um, uh, one good thing about the Apple TV, aside from it being 4K and supporting HDR and all the HDR standards, is their announcement of their 4K media pricing, which is the same as HD and your HDs all get upgraded. So we always complain about Eddie Q's deal making or whatever, but this is a pretty damn good deal. Uh, same price as HD is good and free upgrades of all your HD content is crazy good. So yeah, I was really surprised up. by that. Yeah, you know, as the chat room just pounded out, except for Disney, asterisk, yada, yada, yada. But if that deal is even remotely as real as it was announced on stage, that is a great deal for people. And it almost makes up for being locked into their ecosystem, being forced to use this remote to, you know, or like I said, you don't have to use remote. You can get another remote, train it and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so that's good. Yeah, that's awesome. That like to, you know, to give them full credit on the Apple TV, like the 4K content deals, with the exception of Disney, are awesome. That is unexpected. I am very, very happy with that. I'm even more happy about the 4K screensaver remaster. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a that's big your favorite deal. feature. And you get that comes for free. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to pay for it. $10 a month for the screensaver. You'd pay it. I, I still um. don't know if I'm supposed <laughs> to get the 32 or 64 gigabyte model, which for some reason still exists. It's like... I know people question that, but it's like <laughs> it's, it's, for, it's for games and for video caching. Like, will your movie be cached on that? Like, there's some automatic storage management, and the automatic storage management has an awareness of how much storage there is in the device. And so if you want to have a higher chance of playing that movie or still being downloaded from the last time you played it three weeks ago, get the 64. I'm getting the 64. That's what I'm getting. It's $20 difference. Why are these two separate models? That's that's two months of your watch. What? <laughs> <laughs> or one month without music. Why? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like, okay, it seems like when when the Apple TV 4 came out, whenever it was, two, three years ago, the, the two big, like, puzzling things about it were like, oh, why why are there two different storage tiers? They never really explained why you'd need more storage. It's not really exposed to the user at all in the interface. And it just kind of seemed like, why, why, why are there two? Why does that exist? And then the other thing was why this remote sucks. And with this one, they fixed neither of those problems. They f- have not fixed their remote. And we still have two differently priced models although they're close they're closer in price i believe it was a 50 dollars difference before now it's a 20 dollars difference um the old one didn't get any cheaper the new ones are more expensive this is a theme of the apple event um the new ones are more expensive (laughs) this is fine for people like me who are going to buy every apple tv anyway because we use it so heavily um i don't see this really expanding their market much though because everyone else in the set top box business like this is just killing them on price and features. Uh, you know, other like Amazon and Roku have 4K boxes for $100 or less, and Apple's is now 180 for the small tier or 200 for the big one. The old one is still 150 where it launched 2 years ago. I don't understand why. I, I think that's I think that's a mistake and whatever whatever is causing them to keep the price high even on the old low end one, 
I got to I got to imagine that's costing them market share, and and I, I don't know I don't know if that calculus is right. They're the premium brand. I don't I don't mind the pricing, especially in the grand scheme of things. The streaming services that you're going to pay for to watch on the thing are going to swamp the price of this device uh, pretty quickly. But th- th- this is a catch up device. Like there was a bunch of stories in in the show notes for many weeks about people complaining uh, how behind the Apple TV is. This is a catch-up device. It's catch-up on 4K. It's catch-up on all the other things they're adding. And maybe it's a little bit ahead in in some areas in terms of the content deals or the 4K pricing or the live sports and live news. Uh, I'm not uh, aware of what all the offerings are. I guess you got YouTube TV and a bunch of other stuff like that. It's behind and on Amazon Video and YouTube TV, which apparently aren't uh, still on this thing. Um, But this is basically a catch-up product, but it's a good catch-up product. So I think they maintain their position. They are the premium uh, brand because they have fancy, expensive hardware, and their interface looks pretty nice, and their remote looks nice as long as you don't touch it. Uh, And (laughs) people people had a lot of content in in, uh, in iTunes, and so... This this was the keep the lights on product, and they did it. And and I and I like the fact that they offered the big one because it's this is what I always ask for. Like make one that is uh, that has more stuff that's really expensive. Most people shouldn't buy it, but if the people who care about it will buy it if there is some benefit. And I think there is because every once in a while I will play a movie that the kids watched three weeks ago and it's gone and has to re-download. And if the network is wonky or if iTunes is wonky, it'll spin for a while. And I would rather just have it play. It would be great if I could actually pin movies to the thing and say, just keep it on here. But anyway, um, so I'm getting this. Uh, we do have to move on, but two quick questions for the people out there listening. Does this have a fan? I asked people. No one told me. It has holes in the bottom of it. The other one didn't have, but those could just be for passive cooling. I have no idea. I would love to know if this thing has a fan in it. If it does, I suspect it'll be as quiet as the one in, in the uh, tower uh, airport base station, which is so quiet. I literally cannot hear it unless I put my ear up to it. I'm just curious if it's a fan. Probably not, because it's the same chip as an iPad, and it's this is bigger than an iPad, but who knows. Uh, and then the other question is, does this uh, do 24 frame per second cadence? Can it show 24 frame per second video where it shows each of the 24 frames for the same amount of time? Which is what you need to do to show a movie shot in 24 frames per second without screwing it up. And no uh, Apple TV that has existed before could do this, except for maybe the one that ran Mac OS X Tiger. That could probably do. I forget. I don't know what the video output was like on that. But anyway, <laughs> none of the little black pucks can show 24 frame per second video showing each of the frames for an equal amount of time. I don't know if this one can either. I asked a bunch of people. I got no answer. So next week, Apple people who work on Apple TV, tell me 24 frames per second cadence. And is there a fan? <laughs> so you said both of you guys are going to be getting one. Yep. Yeah. Even though do you both of you have 4K TVs or neither of you? I don't. I, I do, and I'm getting it for that reason, but I, I'm also really interested to see how fast that new CPU is. The current Apple TV is kind of inexplicably slow during some common interactions that I have, yeah. um, so any CPU speed improvement would be welcome if that, if that is indeed the bottleneck, if it's not some kind of weird software thing. Um, and, that, and going from the A, was it the A8 in the current one? Um, going from that, whatever it is, to the A10X, that's a pretty big jump. Um, they have they have really spec this new one well. Um, I still don't know why it comes in two storage capacities that are twenty dollars different, and why the old one is not cheaper. But they have spec this one well, <laughs> so uh, so I, I hope I hope it's a lot faster. So I would say even if you don't have a four K TV, it might be worth it for some people just for that. Also because because the old one didn't get cheaper, it's still one fifty, and this one's one eighty. 
just get this one for future proofing. Like if if you're buying new today, like if if you already have a fourth gen, maybe the upgrade is is a bit of a of, of an iffy question if you don't have a 4K TV. But if you're buying a new one, get the 4K one because it'll it'll be probably useful for longer. And so, John, why are you getting it then? Just because it's better? Yeah, it's better. <laughs> it's faster. Like it, it's faster. It's going to slot right in. The, the best thing about the Apple TV with the internal power supply is when I get new ones, I don't even have to go back in the TV yep. and unplug a bunch of crap. You just pull it out and plug it right back into all the same cables. Oh, yeah. Nice. Mine's still plugged into a PS3 power cable. I don't even know what power cables are. It's just the ones that are attached to the thing. Uh, I mean, I don't recommend people get one. If you have the old one and it works fine for your thing this, and, and you yeah, don't have a 4K me. TV, there's no reason yep. to, to get it. That's but, me but I'm totally going to get and I I almost that's one of the other reasons I buy the big one is cuz I want Apple to keep improving this product and by buying the most expensive one I'm trying to encourage them with my money please keep keep going take another take another shot at it try again We are sponsored this week by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Many of us are programmers or nerds. We know how to make websites ourselves. If you've ever done it before, you know it takes a lot of time. You know it's a big hassle. You're signing yourself up for an, an indefinite lifetime of maintenance and support and software upgrades and worrying about services and servers. And with Squarespace, you don't have to do any of that. So while we could make websites the old-fashioned way and doing things ourselves, most of us probably shouldn't most of the time. And that's where Squarespace comes in. Whether you're making a site for yourself, for a new project, even if it's as complicated as something like a podcast site, or if you're selling things, if it's a storefront site, Squarespace supports tons of different site types, including podcasts, blogs, portfolios, online stores, things that are not so easy to host, Squarespace hosts them. Squarespace really makes website building really so easy that anybody can do it. So if somebody has asked you to make a site for them, or if you need a site for yourself, just try it on Squarespace first. Give it an hour. See how far you get. If I'm wrong, fine. Stop there. You've lost nothing, and you can say that I was wrong. I bet I won't be wrong, though. I bet after the hour, you'll be pretty much done, and you'll say, I am so glad I tried this instead of doing anything else. Check it out today, squarespace.com. Make sure to use offer code ATP at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move. All right, so iPhone 8. Uh, big changes are glass back with better glass, supposedly, although I feel like we've heard that almost every year. And that should be great for grippability, too. Like, if, like the reason that I like the Jet Black so much is that the back kind of feels like glass, so it's very tacky and grippy on my fingers without using a case. So having glass backs on that, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, like I tweeted, it's Jet Black, but without the scratches, because glass is yeah. very resistant to scratch compared to whatever the hell the Jet Black thing is made out of. I don't know. Um, <laughs> some some kind of chalkboard material. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's all, all the benefits uh, of Jet Black without the downsides. Speaking of, uh, I wish I could look these things up in my past. I got to use the podcast search. But back when the iPhone 4 came out and, you know, still my favorite physical iPhone design, glass front and back looked awesome. Uh, but now you had a back that could shatter too. And when the back shattered, it's not as big deal as the front shattering, but people didn't like it. It was cheap to replace the back, cheap-ish, you know, because it's just a piece of glass. But anyway, after two generations of that, the 4 and the 4S, uh, I remember talking on some podcast, maybe it was this one, it had to be this one, or maybe some of them was like, Apple's going to come up with a new phone and you can bet it will not have a glass back. And of course the 5 <laughs> didn't have a glass back. 
and neither did the 5S, and neither did the 6, and neither did the 6S, and neither did the 7. But they found their way back to it because <laughs> I think they like, I like that design. I love the Ford design with the glass front and back. It just had a couple of downsides. It took them this long, it took them like five phones, five whole years to say, can we get the glass back on this phone? And they went through all like the laser welded mesh of copper and steel and blah, blah, like they clearly like they wanted to go somewhere. They went there and they backed off and regrouped. And, and and they eventually got where they wanted to go again, which is a glass back, because there are so many benefits. Scratch-proof, it's good for grip. You can make it look really pretty. It's uh, radio-transparent-ish, more so than metal, right? Um, you don't have to have that glass window like the Fives had on the back for, for the radios and stuff like that. So this iPhone 8, I was more impressed by the industrial design than I thought it would be, because I had honestly, I hadn't been keeping up with the iPhone 8 rumors that had all been about the, you know, the edge touch screen one and everything. I thought, yeah, these will just be like the 7s, it'll be fine. They'll have faster internals. I'm actually kind of excited about these, because I think the physical design, despite being almost the same dimensions, it's cool. It looks cool in pictures, and I think physical properties-wise, it will be a, a better phone for people than the other phones that were also shaped like this. So I, I give the the eight a pretty big thumbs up. Yeah, I it's kind of unfortunate that it's going to be kind of buried in in like the news cycle for the most part and in the year and in the in the attention cycle uh, by the iPhone ten because it does look like a pretty good release. Yeah, I I was impressed by it, but of course I was only paying half attention to it because I was just like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. Get to get to the iPhone X, get to the iPhone X, get to the iPhone X. Except I, I think not. You mean ten. Oh no, no, no! I said that deliberately. But <laughs> no, no. This is we'll, be get a we'll get we there. We'll get there. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting all right. Anyway, all right. Uh, more good things about this one. So, I mean, we assume this would be the case, but it's worth reemphasizing. It's got the same chip as the fancy phone. Right, it's not like it's got a lesser chip. This is not like, oh, this is last year's model, and it has the A with one one lower A. It's got an A10. No, it's got an A11, and and the A11 is nuts as usual. Like people uh, posted the benchmark showing it beating a 13-inch MacBook Pro in like Geekbench benchmarks in both single and multi-core. Yeah, if those are real, by the way, that means that they have now beaten Casey's computer, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's pretty mm-hmm. amazing, and you get that in the eight. Like you don't have to buy the fancy phone for that. It's uh, it has wireless charging, which I didn't think it would have for differentiation purposes, but it does have it. And even though Apple's not ready with its charger thing, I love the fact that they use that Qi charging standard. A friend of mine has that charging thing. He bought wireless. He bought like a wireless charging case for his iPhone. Like you put like I forget which phone it was. It was like a six or something. You put this, this case in it, and it wirelessly charged your iPhone with this standard by like essentially having a case that makes it do the thing. And it was like, oh, that's great, but you you just bought yourself into a dead end because when Apple comes out with wireless charging, it sure as hell not going to be this chi stuff. And when they came up with that slide, I'm like, they did it. They they used a someone else's standard because they recognized that they you know they didn't want to have to fight that same battle they did with CarPlay. Does they get it? You know, because they're putting these chargers in cars and stuff now, and it's so hard to like, in the same way like the stupid thirty pin iPod port went to every hotel room, and if you were another manufacturer and wanted to get in there, it's like, sorry, we already picked the thing that we're going to put on our nightstands and it's this stupid thing um the chi charger am i pronouncing it right chi i believe that's right the chi chargers are are i don't know if they've won the market but i've seen them around in a couple places i've read reports of them coming in cars or whatever and so apple getting on board with that but also finding a way to like add its own twist and influence the standard to charge multiple devices with that air power thing all that being on the quote-unquote lesser iphone 8 makes this a pretty darn good phone like the only reason people should, you know, the only reason we're all going to start 
talking ignoring it is because we're tech nerds and we care about all the stuff we're going to talk about for the iphone 10 but this is an eight it's one bigger than seven it looks really cool it has great features if i had a friend or relative who was looking for a phone i would not say oh just ignore the eight i would ask them what they're looking for in a phone and i think a lot of people should get the eight instead of the 10 and i think it will be great for them uh, what's, what's the other thing, Marco? You can tell me the camera. They, they did they add optical image stabilization for the zoomed-in one on this, or only on the ten? No, only on the ten. But it, but I mean, the, like these are the, so the, the camera. You know, we'll see how it is in practice. Um, the, the specs sounded pretty good. It's still twelve megapixel, um, but you know, they said it's an all-new sensor. You know, more light, better color, et cetera. You know, kind of the usual suspects there, which is awesome. The, there's a whole bunch of like custom silicon sounding things or custom processing steps kind of things that they gave, you know, fun marketing names to or that they glossed over. Like they, they mentioned that, um, that, you know, like, first of all, I think it's interesting noting that the A11 Bionic, like they gave it a name, uh, the Bionic afterwards. Like to uh, kinda... It was like the fu- Fusion made even less sense, but whatever. They, they want to have names, they can have their names. Yeah, but anyway, so like they, they, they have a lot of names for these things now, um, but they also have pointed out in the, in, the, um, in the presentation of a lot of these things that they have custom things. So they mentioned, first of all, uh, this is a six-core chip. That's awesome. Like that's <laughs> – and, and I, I have no idea, you know – what the performance characteristics of this will be, but it seems like the answer is going to be fast. Um, it, it does seem like there is a more than usual of a focus on power efficiency gains over straight performance gains, um, but it seems like they also got straight performance gains, so that's pretty cool. Um, again, we'll see how this does in practice, but I, I have a feeling it's going to be kind of awesome. Uh, one of the things that caught my attention is that they now say they have an Apple Design GPU. And they so it doesn't the specs don't sound amazing at first. It, they said in the presentation that it is thirty percent faster than the A10's GPU, and for a GPU performance for an iPhone year over year, that actually isn't that amazing. Um, they they have they've had bigger gains before. Um, they also said it can offer the same level of performance as the A10 at half the power uh, as an alternative, I guess. So that's interesting. Um, so again, focus on power efficiency. This is the first Apple designed GPU core in there um, that I, I would expect based on how they did when they took CPU core design in-house with the iPhone 5 um, where they had their first core, which is codenamed Swift. <laughs> Inconveniently now, it's very hard <laughs> to search for that. But uh, if you look at those performance graphs that they used to show, but curiously didn't show this time, um, where it had like, you know, performance of the original iPhone and then like this big like ramp up to performance of today's iPhone, there's a pretty noticeable acceleration right after the iPhone 5, that's when they took it in-house. Um, so taking GPUs in-house as well uh, probably is significant long-term and will probably result in pretty impressive gains. Like, you know, they mentioned during the presentation that this is a custom design optimized for Metal 2 and Core ML, their, you know, their APIs. Um, and that's the kind of thing they can do when they take designs in-house. Um, and when they can specialize the hardware to their software needs and they can do things like analyze every app in the app store and its performance characteristics and what kind of instructions it needs and what kind of optimization they they need in practice and like they can do some really cool stuff with some really impressive performance gains when they take silicon design in-house they have in the past and they're doing more and more of that so we're going to see benefits of that you know continuing down the road that's pretty great 
for the GPU thing, we knew this was coming because of the whole imagination lawsuit or whatever thing, like, and that Apple had pre-announced we're not going to be using your tech anymore. So yeah. they, they, they kind of telegraphed it themselves. Um, but for the, the speed gain, it seems to me, not having seen a floor plan view of this chip, that they spent their die space and transistors more on the six cores and the neural whatever thing and everything else and less on gpu because gpus honestly aside from what they said you know custom tailoring it to the apis that know they're going to get called and making sure it's efficient for those things and figuring out the right balance of execution units and stuff as they as they say uh, gpus are embarrassingly parallel and essentially you can make them as fast as you want uh with you know just die space and power budget right uh, and so the iPads, obviously, they have more pixels to push, and they have more die space and more power. Uh, and so it's the iPad GPUs that are the big monsters most of the time. On the phone, you don't have as many pixels to push around, and you just don't have the die space and the power to, you know, it's not like, oh, we, we couldn't make it. They could have made it 300% faster by just, you know, adding 10 times as many transistors and sucking up 10 times as much power. But, like, the trade off they're picking is... Four tiny CPU cores, two big ones, the neural thing, the image processor, right? And then GPU, I think, is like a distant third because as much as people are going to game on their phone, it's it's more important for the Apple TV to have a good, powerful GPU for gaming than it is for the phone. The phone GPU is, like I said, it's like tertiary. It's like primary and secondary is the, the, the camera and image processing and the CPU, and I'm not even sure what order those should be in. And then third is the GPU. So I wouldn't worry about it. I think this GPU, GPU is not like, oh, it's not like Swift where they're like the CPU, not the language, where <laughs> it was just their first try and they weren't that good at it. I think they're already awesome at it, and this is just a trade-off they made and the correct trade-off for the phone. And we haven't even gotten to the battery life yet uh, of the uh, the 10, but... You know, this that's the weird thing about this being the same system on a chip in both of them, as far as we're aware, like there's no differences. But the whole neural processing thing for face ID, iPhone 8 doesn't have face ID, it doesn't have the depth cameras, doesn't have any of that stuff, but I think it's still got the neural processing thingy in there. Otherwise they're making a custom version of it just for the iPhone eight that doesn't have that, or it's like Well, it probably has Animoji support. Yeah, uh I don't know. I, anyway. It's a little bit of weirdness there, uh, but I, I think they're choosing to spend their transistors where they want. And I think when you see the A11X, you will see uh, the, the graph uh, continue just as it had before because they'll just have more room and more power. The uh, 32 gigs is gone. It's, uh, it's 64 and, oh, and 128 is gone, right? So it's yep. now. And now they all cost more, too. It's 64, 256. Continuing the, continuing the theme of price price hikes throughout the line um, well, so the, the, the uh, explanation for that is that that uh flash storage uh costs more money uh across all their products and it and it does well that i mean that's the explanation they gave it in their earnings call before where they're not going to be making up bs because they're held to that the, their statements there by the sec and everything so they're basically saying hey our component costs have gone up and and the rest across the rest of the industry component costs are gone up and because of the magic of capitalism they pass on that lack of savings to you the customer i mean they, <laughs> they could have eaten it but they didn't and it explains why everything is more expensive why you know they're the, the the price hikes across the board because all these things include lots of flash storage and especially because they got rid of the 128 so it's like 64 is entry level i think is acceptable now finally we, we can forget the days of like 16 top tier devices entry level and the fact that it's 
jumps all the way to 256. That's not as granular as you would want, but I like the fact that, that, that you know that it doesn't top out at, at 128, which it hasn't for a few years now. So anyway, that's a typical Apple move. Uh, the big, big one costs you tons and tons of money and even more money because of their component prices. What can you do? I think uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty happy with the, with the, the storage choices here because, I, honestly, I think 64 is good for almost everybody, and if you feel like you want more, you should have the mostest, and that is 256. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't love that they had to randomly increase prices across all their products, including the iPad Pro, weirdly. Yeah, well, that's that's the, what convinces you that it's component cost, because that's not a strategic move. Like, they don't want to have to do that, but they have to to maintain their margins. <laughs> They're the only company that, going into the holiday season, increases their prices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. we should look. I mean, if component costs really are going up for everybody, uh, I think this will hit everybody. Maybe other companies are not in a position where they can, yeah, you know, where they can pass that right on to the customers and say that they'll take it, but Apple is, and so they're doing it. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing Apple's hand was not forced here. I'm guessing they're doing it because they know they can. Also, that's an important part of, I mean, we're going to go to the iPhone 10 in a second, but all of these price increases, like, I don't know what the correct term for this is. Someone who's economics major, who has read anything about it would know, like, price elasticity or whatever. Like, bottom line is, like, if you charge your customers more, if you increase the price of your product, how much does the demand go down, right? And Apple has always been in this weird position, especially with its top-end most popular products, where it's like a game of chicken against itself. It's like, if we add $100, how much fewer of these will we sell? And they add $100 and they sell more than like, hmm, did we just sell more, but we would have sold even more if we hadn't increased the price? And so they keep running this experiment. If we had $50, will anybody <laughs> mind? Right? And they're learning, for the most part, especially on the high end, they can keep creeping that price up. And people, I mean, the Mac Pro is the perfect thing. They don't even ask the question of the Mac Pro. Like, how much can we charge this? I don't know. <laughs> just, like, make up a number. $10,000? Sure. Ship it. Yeah. Like, like whatever, because they can, they absolutely can. And towards the top end of the iPhone, especially now that they have this Ferrari of iPhones, they can just add a couple hundred bucks for that. I mean, they're already doing it with like, oh, you go up in storage and it's an extra hundred bucks. Like they discover they can do that. We're going to add $5 in component prices, but the price the customers will increase by a hundred dollars and we'll keep, we'll pocket the 95. Like it is a great deal. And so this, you know, the component price, which I totally believe is a real thing, they should have been pretty confident to say our component prices are going up we can either take a hit in our margins or we can just increase our prices and in fact maybe we can increase our prices more than our component costs increase so maybe our margins can actually increase and so they're going to try it and i think they're right i think especially this will not deter customers i don't and it scares me because i'm like if they doubled the price of the iphone how much would demand would they sell half as many or would they sell like 20 percent fewer Right. It's scary how, you know, like how they toy with their demand. Right. I mean, it's another way to keep people out of Apple stores, you know, just keep increasing the price of your product, <laughs> wow. become, become even more and more premium. Right. And, you know, I don't I don't think this is a good long term strategy. I think they should be cautious because you don't want to leave a price umbrella, as Tim likes to say, like leave the low end available to everybody else. And. It makes people angry, even the people who can afford it, as evidenced by all of us, or Casey and I, anyway, complaining about $10 a month, which we can both <laughs> afford. Uh, so it is a dangerous game, but I think Apple is actually right that, uh, you know, as the the high end of their phones starts to get higher end, as I think it should, because they should be expanding their line, like, and, you know, having more diversity in their line and, and going for all the different things, they can add 
lots of money to the price because they have a product that people want and it's really cool and it's fancy and you know just just crank up the price and you know and sell people a hundred dollar case and a hundred and thirty dollar charging pad and just you know it's that's why they make all the money (laughs) (laughs) they're they're not they're not dumb and we we are willing to pay for it so i can't i can't unlike the ten dollars thing which i'm I'm mad at the carriers i can't even be mad about this because unlike the carriers apple has products that people want and i want them and we're willing to pay for them and if we can't pay for them we will buy the lesser ones because they're still pretty cool yeah but we have one more thing gentlemen pretty appropriate use i feel like they save it uh, i i don't i don't say i don't think they should have retired it i think it's fine for them to continue to use it i think it is uh, an homage an honor and they do save it for the important ones and this was this was an important one mm-hmm. i agree yeah, i agree I, I think it's it is worth like they're allowed to use it if they use it sparingly and appropriately and so far they have yeah yeah i agree uh the iphone 10 which i did call x earlier deliberately because i still think it should be called x i will not call it the iphone x anymore but my point earlier was that i was just waiting for this iphone x to show up and then sure enough we are immediately told no 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 it is not the iphone x it is the <laughs> iphone 10 and you wait were you were you reading it were you in the gruber camp where you thought they were actually gonna pronounce that x as a 10 or uh, that x is an x rather like i when, thought it was gonna know, be x yeah, so we yeah. saw the strings from the firmware, and you know, and that's the problem with all of us having read it before anyone ever said it, because we all read it in the leak, right? And there's no pronunciation guide in the leak, right? If the first time we had ever experienced this was on stage, I think there would have been a fighting chance, like not a big chance, honestly, but but a, a better chance that we would all be saying it internally in our minds as ten. Uh, but now we had like a week or two of saying it in our head as, as X. And then they come out and say 10. And, uh, you know, if I had to bet, I would have bet against Gruber. I would have, you know, I spent several years opening all my uh, Mac OS 10 reviews by saying, and by the way, this is another reminder, the X is pronounced 10. Because no one knew what the hell <laughs> Mac OS X was, right? So I had to say, hey, you're reading your review right up there. There's an X. I know you're probably reading this, but just so you know, it's 10. Didn't work. People still call it X. There's nothing you can do. You couldn't stop them from calling it an iTouch. You're not going to stop people from calling this iPhone X <laughs> or iWatch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will continue. I will try to do ten. I will never to do ten. No, no, no. And I, all kidding aside, I will too. I, 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 when I was saying it earlier, it was in the mindset of you know twenty minutes earlier in the keynote, I expected to see the iPhone X. But now, now we know it's the iPhone X. And if I slip up from now on, don't let me tell you it was deliberate because it isn't. But earlier that was deliberate. You know, like similar, like when they when they released um, one of the S models, I believe it was the 5S, and they gave it a lowercase s, and it, it just looked like the iPhone 5s, and nobody, like, <laughs> immediately, it, even, like, in the initial reviews of it, everyone just capitalized the S, because it, it, it was really weird without it. So, like, everyone just went against Apple's wishes, and eventually I think Apple just kind of gave up, and, and you know, it, it, it got normalized everywhere as capital S. I think this is the kind of thing where, like, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to call this the iphone x no matter what no matter how apple says it this is going to be the iphone x to most people and we're gonna we're just gonna have to deal with that we're gonna have to be okay with that because that's that's how it's gonna be that like calling it 10 like yes there is that history with mac os 10 which everybody screwed up um but that that was such a smaller scale than this like yep the iphone is so much bigger than the mac ever was or will be that you know, this is we're, most people who are going to be calling it the iPhone X are probably not Mac owners. 
I think, see, if you, if the first time you hear the name of it is in an Apple store, the Apple people are all going to say 10, and you won't even know that it's an X. If the first time you see it is an ad on TV, maybe you'll start saying X, but most people aren't reading about this, you know, in reviews like that. So I, percentage-wise, I think the breakdown will be about the same. It's just that the, the numbers are bigger. I mean, most people are going to be calling it the new iPhone. <laughs> yeah. We had to be reminded by a listener, M.T. Walker, I had to be reminded anyway, that we had a show, episode 172, the title of which was iPhone space capital X. Do you remember that show? No. that discussion? <laughs> I didn't until I'd heard it. So perhaps Marco should click the link in the show notes and hear our uh, very prescient discussion. Uh, yes. Uh, at, at 58 minutes and six seconds into episode 172, we will put the link to this in the show notes. We have a discussion where we jokingly say that the next iPhone should be 10, but it should be an X like a Roman numeral. <sighs> well, so, and so here's here's the problem with this. Like, if this was the only iPhone released this year they could plausibly just call next year's 11 and be fine with it or move on. This one does not go to 11. So yeah, so here's the problem. They have two iPhones that they released that are very similar in many of the specs. One of which is called 8 and one of which is called 10. So similar to the Watch <laughs> Watch Series 1 versus Series 3, this makes the 8 seem older than it really is. It really makes it hard to to talk about these phones. We can't just say like oh it's the 8 family or whatever else or you know like so it it makes there appear to be much more of a difference than there really is that also is going to age badly. If you start thinking about what might they do in, in the next couple of years for the product naming, like what's going to, what, what are going to be the phones next year? Nine and 11 no, no. or like this naming scheme, like this, they're going to have to like mess up the names again next year. And it hurts their message this year of trying to make a lot of people still want to buy the eights because it makes them sound even older than they are. That's why people thought they were they were all going to be called eight, but uh, I think Apple's willing to eat that because most people will shop based on the product, not the name, right? And uh, and I think they have a plan uh, in kind of the same way that when they went macOS, Mac, macOS seven point six, and then you know eventually macOS eight, which wasn't Copeland, even though it stole the name, uh, and then they did macOS nine, and then they did macOS ten with a Roman numeral, and that Roman numeral did not ever change. <laughs> Eventually, it just went away, and now we're just back to playing old macOS. But we had a macOS 10 with names and version numbers, and year after year after year of macOS 10. I, someone uh, being reminded again, but someone sent me a link to my five years of, uh, of OS 10 review at Ars Technica, and I mentioned uh, starting the reviews with a, 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 a section saying what is macOS 10, so because people didn't know what it was, and uh, the pronunciation tips, uh, and I noted that even Steve Jobs had said X instead of 10 on stage. Like, because, you know, he's a human being. And I also know that he said PowerBook instead of MacBook because MacBook is a gross name and he knows it too. Um, <laughs> my word. But it, it is a difficult name, but it is a system that has been proven to work. You just don't increase the number. You never go to 11. You just do, you just do the iPhone 10. And uh, this iPhone 10, like, they didn't lean on this as much as I thought they would. But it is, like, two better than the 8, right? It's They didn't say, oh, and we skipped the 9, and it's like living in the future, and so on and so forth. But that's the message, that this is not just one better than the 8. It's two better than the 8. It is in the next generation of product. They did say this is the in the same way the MacBook Air was the future of the laptop. This is the future of phones. And it seems clear to me, fast forward a couple of years, they'll all be iPhone 10s. Like, they'll all be like this phone, Right. The notch, the edge, edge screen, the, the, the physical design, and 
I don't think they're going to change the 10 or if they or they'll just drop it entirely in the whole like this is what all future phones will look like eventually not this year because the eights look like the seven <laughs> on an infinite time like scale <laughs> no oh, but this word. is no but pretty not <laughs> infinite like within a couple of years as these things go down market they're they're going to move this this design down market because they said it themselves this is the future of the phone and they have a name because it uses a letter and not a number and because people don't know how Roman numerals work after a certain point, I don't think there's a temptation to go Super Bowl L M V X I Z. You know, like there's no, there's no temptation to do that. So they either just keep the capital letter X, or they just drop it entirely like they did in macOS. But it is a, it's an extensible naming scheme just about at the time when the numbers are about to get unwieldy on iPhones. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah. that that makes sense. But the other thing to consider though is that. So and this is you know one of the weirdnesses about that the line is now bifurcated um, that as you think about how the name scale don't assume that the bifurcation of the line into the regular phone at the regular pl- prices plus fifty bucks uh, and the the and the new phone that's three hundred dollars more or whatever that's going to keep being there they're not going to sell a phone for twelve hundred dollars massively this year and have a huge hit rate hit rate with that and then next year say let's make it cheaper there's no way that's going to happen that once they get used to selling phones at these two different price points and selling a ton of the higher one they're not going to give up that profit in the future but they're also not going to want to give up the market share of having the slightly less expensive ones also in the lineup at the base level so they're going to keep having two lines for a long time no, it's not, it's not going to be two lines. They're all going to look like that. They're just going to be three phones, three sizes. We, not so we, and freaking huge. That's, <laughs> that's, that's SNL references everywhere. Was that right? Austin Powers? Uh, that was SNL, right? Uh, maybe uh, it was Austin Powers. It's Mike Myers. Mike Myers. Mike Myers doing uh, his uh, impression of uh, an Irish gentleman, say. Oh, no, Scottish. Scottish. They come oh, with know, anyway, did you know? Did you know, John, that if it's not Scottish, it's crap? Yes, that's. I think it's the same thing. I hope it's Mike Myers. It might not be anything wrong. Anyway, whole point is, yeah, like they're they're gonna they're like the diversification of the iPhone line has not recontracted. They've only gone more. We've got the SE hanging out down there, which is kind of hanging out where the five C was, and we got the the little phone and the big phone, the, you know, the six and the six plus, and now we have this kind of in betweeny size. And price range going down market with the SE, which is now like 350 or something, like the cheapest iPhone that has ever been in terms of just what the price is, right? And the most expensive one. They're not going to give up that range. I'm just saying tech-wise, right? What distinguishes the 10 now is that it's got the edge-to-edge screen. It's got the notch. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't have a home button. Like, it is a new phone design, and Apple said explicitly, this is the future of the smartphone. So within, I think, a couple of years, two, three years, the whole they're going to come a september event and all three or four depending on how they do with how they deal with the se all three or four new phones are going to be notch bearing edge to edge non-home button having things one of them is going to be 1300 bucks right and one of them is going to be whatever the cheapest one here is 400 to 500 or whatever um but that that's what i mean and once they all start being edge to edge non-home button notch bearing whatchamahoozies you can name them as a family. You can market them as a family. It is a family that spans a range. And it will be more cohesive than it is now where they show the family. You've got the SE design and then the the, the 6S and 7 and 8. And then you've got the, the 10. It's a little bit of a motley crew, but we're in transition. We're in transition the same way we were when we were transitioning to Retina. When we were transitioning to Touch ID. Uh, but, you know, th- 
things will will flow downwards and i have i have some confidence that their product line will be much more coherent in a few more years even if their names aren't necessarily because let's be honest apple is a little bit weird with the names there's a possibility for a brighter future for naming but apple's really good at screwing it up so i don't i don't put anything past them <laughs> like as many people said this is the new iphone one year they're going to drop the 10 and just they're all going to be the new iphone and we're not going to have any way to talk about them who knows but uh, i'm sure it'll be fine so we knew a lot about this phone uh we didn't really acknowledge uh tonight that there was a tremendous leak of the ios 11 gm specifically for this phone among other things and uh, Steve. In between the last show and now, the leaks came so fast that we, on our regular weekly schedule, we missed an entire gigantic leak. So uh, we knew a lot of this. We we certainly didn't know everything. Uh, we didn't know that they were going to call this OLED display Super Retina. It's super you know, such retina. important things we didn't know. On that point of like us not knowing everything, I think we knew the most about this Apple event than I've ever known about any Apple event. Yeah. We had we had mock-ups of this phone that are indistinguishable on video from the actual real thing probably down to the millimeter perfect right we knew so much about the software from the software leak which has never happened before now that i'm you know like like i think a little bit about what would have been like in the era when people didn't pay attention to apple and apple didn't accidentally leak things and we saw this iphone intro and the 8 came out and we're like oh the 8s are okay they're pretty good and then out of nowhere came this one more thing and it was this phone we would have this show would have been 900 hours long just about the 10 but luckily we had like months we've had months of talking about, about this, this. <laughs> we're talking about the phone and every single thing was even the leak even the late breaking german leak about the swipe up for home button and all that stuff even though it was phrased in kind of a wishy-washy way it's pretty much on the money that's what was there right yeah uh so we knew so much this is the new high watermark for how much can you know about an apple event before it happens oh yeah even, we knew the apple tv 4k deals we knew yeah. we had a picture of the watch over the weekend from the software yeah. <laughs> yep yep that we, was, had, that we had the tough. picture of the red dot with the lte watch like we, oh the, man the, the new airpods right we had we had the, the cute face were. id face yeah oh, god <laughs> it was you know so this uh, i mean it, it's a, it's a shame and apple will work on it um but honestly it's really fighting against the tide here like for products this popular for a company for so many people who are so motivated to find out this information it is a really herculean task to keep anything secret so that's why we should all concentrate entirely on the mac pro which no one will care enough about to leak and we will all be totally surprised <laughs> by it. <sighs> once again the mac pro wins uh, anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but you're going, uh, Casey, back to the phone. I, I just want to contest the, the narrative that uh, that we didn't know much about this. We knew the most we have ever known. Yeah, yeah. We, it, it was somewhat disappointing in that regard because we did know so much, but there were certainly some things that we uh, – that we didn't know. And so they pitched the super retina displays being brighter with wide color and better color accuracy and so on and so forth. Uh, still is 3d touch. A lot of people I saw on Twitter anyway, asking, wait, what happened to 3d touch? They never really talked about it. I'm actually looking at the keynote right now and there's a slide they that says 3d touch right on it. So yeah, they, 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 and they it. said it's now built into the display. I guess that's just like a, a you know, a, a, a construction detail about how, where it is mechanically, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't quite understand that part, but anyway, it's still there. Yeah. Yep. So now, uh, before we get into Face ID, which we'll talk about momentarily, the home button is indeed gone. Uh, there's been a lot of back and forth as to whether or not the home button would be gone. It is gone. Well, I guess not ever after the leak, but until the leak, there was a lot of back and forth about the home button. Uh, to get back to the uh, home screen, to get back to Springboard, you just swipe up from the bottom. There's a little um, 
not notch, a little uh, grabber handle, if you will. Not a physical one, mind you, and a, a software one. At the bottom of the screen, generally speaking, that that you grab and slide up. Uh, I noticed that when um, it might have been, I think it was an iOS 11 beta, they got rid of the uh, force press on the left edge of the screen to multitask, and I saw a few people who were really worked up about that. And now, as it turns out, you just swipe—not even force press, I don't believe—but just swipe the little um, the little knuckle at the bottom that represents the like home grabby thing what is the right term for this i'm failing all over the place like a drag handle let's call it a gripper it's not a, a question where he yeah. grips it drag indicator yeah. a dragon whatever a gripper let's go with gripper so you, if you swipe uh laterally on the gripper you can just sw- swipe between apps uh if you go halfway up you can get into multitasking if you go the whole way up like i said you, you're going back home uh, to get to notification center versus uh, control center it depends on where you're swiping from the top which i'm not a tremendous fan of i don't think that's going oh, to that's be the best honestly this sounds awful the swiping from the top this, i think that this is, sounds like they're so so yeah so they you you basically like the, so now the top has those two ears on the each side of the notch you basically pull down on the left ear for notification center no no not and you the pull left, down right. the right ear for control center the right ear is control center everything else is notifications including the middle so if you pull down from the middle like you normally do but like so basically this now puts control center in the hardest to reach corner of the phone if you hold your phone in your left hand oh yeah this is bad I, this is totally bad for people for lefties i totally admit that <laughs> this is it, it, i mean it's bad for everybody because reaching the top corners is nah, already hard for almost anybody the way the way i hold the way i hold my phone i think i don't know i have to see this is the thing about the phone we can all speculate on what it's going to be like, but as everyone who's designing software for it has said, it's really difficult to do anything until you physically get one of these in your hand. I yeah. have to say that I was super doubtful, cautious, worried about it based on the rumor, but seeing them use the home swipey thing, I started to believe. I started to believe two things. One, that the home swipey thing could be a thing i can get used to i'm not sure about control center i'll have to like i'm holding my phone now trying to see can i get to that corner is it going to be i don't know i'm not quite sure what the deal is there but apple has some options but the home swipey thing certainly that is something that we're going to use all the time and i I feel like that's going to be pulled off and the second thing is i think this phone the iphone 10 and the presentation of it worked its magic on me at least to the point where i even just started thinking about my phone which has a section of the bottom which is not a screen and the only thing in that is a giant circle that I press to do something, and it seems barbaric. <laughs> There's a section of like that that is just like this blank area of my phone with a with a button on it, and even it's not like a button that moves anymore. It is still like a button. It's like what is that? It's like it's like when you had to connect the trackballs to PC laptops on the side with those little hooks, right? <laughs> like Max had Max had trackballs built in where the trackpad is now, like underneath the keyboard, and PCs laptops were then made where the entire bottom part was keyboard from front to back so they had no place to put a trackpad so you could clip it on the side and now i look at my phone i'm like this has this weird dead area appended to it where we have to put like a physical button that's like steam powered or something and it's just barbaric when the whole (laughs) thing should be screened and i don't know maybe the screen will be terrible maybe i'll hate the gestures maybe i'll long for the button setting aside face id just in terms of like what it's like to go back home or to activate multitasking or whatever but i came away from that keynote a pretty big believer in the correctness of the whole front of the phone being a screen and believing that 
pull up from the bottom or some kind of thing that is like I dedicate an entire edge of the screen to important common actions is better and requires less precision than finding that little button. Again, setting aside touch ID, setting aside face ID, just the part of like I'm using the home button to go home and do all that other stuff. Uh, I I was pretty convinced. I, I went into this being skeptical that if I was going to buy a phone, which I'm not this year, whether or not I would get the fancy edge-to-edge one. And I came out of it saying if I was buying a phone this year, 100% I would get that one because I just I need to try that. And I am now optimistic that that they're right about that they're right about this future, that they're right about the fact that all screen is the way to go. And we will look back on these phones that had these dead sections above and below that weren't screen and, and, and they'll, they will seem messed up. Now, for the record, I am all in on the swipe up home gesture thing. I, I think that's going to be great. I really honestly do. I think that's going to be way more convenient and it's going to be very natural, very fast. What I just don't entirely love is having to be more precise to get to notification center versus command or control center. And it may end up that, that, that it's no big deal at all, but I use control center constantly and I use notification center frequently. And so I'm a little worried again, not having tried it, that that's going to be a little bit frustrating, but I am totally with you that I am all in on the all screen front. I am all in on the, on the no home button. I am right there with you on that. Marco, what do you think? I'm basically with you, Casey. Like I, the the swipe home button thing sounds totally fine. That that seems sensible to me. Like you know, if you're, if you're going to get rid of the home button, that seems like a pretty okay way to handle it. Having to pull down on the right ear to get to control center, I think that's a very hard place to reach, no matter which hand you're holding your phone in. Especially because this phone is now taller than the seven. Um, so that's I think that's going to be a problem for a lot of people. Um, also, keep in mind when you're making size comparisons, which I'll get to in a minute, I have a lot to say about this, about the screen, but um, keep in mind that now because you aren't having that top and bottom chin, if you're thinking about whether certain parts of the screen are going to be reachable for you, keep in mind that you're actually going to have to reach higher on this one because you're reaching into the area that used to be the earpiece bar, you know, like the forehead area. So... That's going to be a hard place to reach. Maybe one way to solve this. I haven't. I haven't played with the um, software like in the in the simulator yet. So maybe maybe they can do this. Maybe there's some reason why they can't. Um, but maybe a shortcut to Control Center could be if you do the home gesture swipe up when you're already at the home screen. Maybe you can open up Control Center. I know that's not perfect, but that I don't know. Pull, having to pull down from that right ear area that seems like it's going to be really hard to reach for something that people not only frequently use, but frequently use when they're one-handed. Um, so that's that, that seems like something that needs to be fixed. On the iPad, remember, they on iOS 11, they do the thing where you pull up from the bottom and the dock appears, but if you keep pulling, control spender appears. They kind of p- did the same thing on the phone, but now now it's like if you pull it partway, you get multitasking, and if you keep pulling, it's home. I feel like they have some options if reachability turns out to be a concern, but the main thing I thought was really clever about control center is it is one instance where they made, uh, you know, I got some lemons, which is the notch, which I'll talk about a bit later. And they made lemonade, which is like, well, we do have this notch here, and it conveniently, physically, and prominently divides that bar into sections that are clearly understandable. Like, if if imagine the status bar was just straight across, and the top of the screen was flat. This kind of thing, where it's like, well, you have to know that if you swipe down on like the rightish third of the of the the single continuous thing, that it does a different thing than if you swipe down on the other two thirds. But because the notch is there, it gives them like essentially a button like a physically outlined thing that says this place is different than the other place and 
people can be forgiven for thinking that it's right ear versus left ear, but it's really right ear versus anything else in the entire bar is notifications, which lets people continue their muscle memory of swipe from the top. And you're right, Marco, that the top is toppier than it used to be. So we'll see how that goes. But that still works because I don't know how many, I mean, I pull notification down from the center middle of my phone. And if you continue to do that, it will keep working. And since I can reach the center middle of my phone to get notifications, I feel I can probably get to the ear. I guess we'll all find out. Uh, but they do have, it's like they have they have options because it is all screen. They've got a bunch of multiple edges. They could even somehow work it into the bottom. Uh, give them some time to work it out. But I'm I'm mostly optimistic about how this is going to work, especially for you know for poor people with the giant plus. Like I hope this phone brings people down <laughs> from the ledge that is the plus. <laughs> It says, look, you can get not as many pixels, but more. How do you feel about this? Is it better? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it won't work. People people like their giant phones. Well, yeah. and so yeah, indeed. on on that part, though, like... Wait, hold on. Really, really quickly. Yeah. Do you feel like this is going to be difficult for more novice users? And maybe the answer is no. Novice users don't even really know what Control Center is or Notification Center for that matter. But I don't know. It's just... One of the things that I think was so great about the iPhone was that you always had a physical button to press when you needed to get out of jail, like you or you needed a parachute, maybe is a better analogy. And and I've noticed on Aaron's car, just bear with me, on Aaron's car, which has a touchscreen, there are there are occasions, or certainly when we first got it, especially, there were occasions when we got in some screen somewhere in the navigation and I was like, I have no idea where I am. And it was nice to be able to find, I could see this physical button that I could just mash down on and I went back home. I'm probably, um, I'm probably overblowing the issue here. And well, I don't even know that it's an issue, but I wonder, I can't help but wonder if this is going to be difficult. So say you're like 70 or 80 year old, you know, grandparent who maybe is just now getting a, a, an iPhone for the very first time. Like you need to explain to them, well, if you want to go home, you need to swipe up, but don't, don't swipe up only an inch or so, because then you're going to multitasking. You need to swipe all the way up. And where do you swipe from? Well, just from the bottom. Well, where on the bottom? Just from the bottom. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this is, it's a, it's the, the home button was already so overloaded where single tap does this, except when it doesn't double tap does that, except when it doesn't double, double touch, but not tap is something else entirely, which by the way, is going away. Uh, it, it, it just seems like there's a lot here, and I'm a little worried that for for not us, it's going to be a little more challenging. But am I am I just being a big baby? Well, Apple's doing the thing. Apple's doing something that I think is smart, where they have been shedding the previous conventions as the bulk of their user base has become more sophisticated because they grow up with phones or have used a lot of them. So in the same way they got rid of slide down lock, and like, oh, now there's not an obvious thing with the giant arrow, animated arrow saying slide here, dummy, to unlock your phone. Now the whole screen's <laughs> thing. But how will people tell? Can they see that subtle symbol? People figured it out. Like, I'm, I'm mostly convinced uh, of the of the fact that this will be successful by seeing uh, people in the wider world use Android phones, which very often have basically soft buttons, like buttons that don't press in, but they're just symbols but that you can press, which are pretty awful, I think. Because uh, there's not even any sort of good haptic feedback in a lot of cases. And lots of swipey gestures. And I see people navigating these things with no problem. They're just basically a minefield of touch-sensitive icons and back buttons and home things and swipe gestures that are all different from phone to phone, depending on what carrier crapware is on there and what version of Android you're using. A huge variety of fairly complicated swipes. And you're right about it being difficult 
more difficult action than pressing a button and that is a problem but for the bulk of the market i think the market has become more sophisticated because they're spending more times with phones and appropriately phone vendors are shedding the affordances that were required in the past to let people understand how the hell you use a phone that doesn't have a physical keyboard and doesn't have physical buttons and doesn't have number keys that becomes less and less necessary and so i you know apple is i've been mostly catching up with the android world in terms of how featureless and swipey the front of the phone is and net net i think it's it's the right thing to do it would be good if they could come up with some kind of better more comfortable safer system for people who have difficulty with swipe gestures which includes me a lot of the time um but i think i think it's i think it's going in the right direction i think this because they this step-by-step progression is the right thing to do did they overstep this time by a little bit i think it may just be in the details like marco was saying like okay well maybe the idea is right all screen is right but you have to rejigger things to figure out what's reachable and what's commonly used and stuff like that. So Marco, tell us about the screens. All right. So we have kind of jumped through a million hoops with the iPhone 10 in order to get this edge to edge screen. And the reason we wanted an edge to edge screen with asterisks on some of that, but the reason we wanted that is because we wanted to fit a bigger screen into a smaller phone. But if you look at how big the screen is versus how big the phone is, and if you consider the amount of space you're now losing in that big screen to things like the new status ears and the home indicator and the margins around these things, the gain, I think, is less compelling than I would have wanted it to be. The important thing to realize, and I think think this is going to bite a lot of Plus fans, I think a lot of Plus fans are going to upgrade this phone thinking that it's going to give them the plus-size screen in a smaller phone. Um, But it isn't that much smaller, and the screen is not plus-sized, at least not the way you might think. So the iPhone 6, 7, and 8 screens are 375 points wide. So is the X. Sorry, 10. (laughs) (laughs) The Plus is 414, so it's 375 versus 414 in width. The iPhone 10 is the same width. We did not gain any width, which means things like if you're scrolling, for example, in Instagram or any kind of photo stream thing, your photos aren't going to be any bigger. You'll be able to fit more than one on screen maybe, but it's going to be the same width as the small phones have been. That also means the keyboard is presumably going to be the same width. Um, so if, if you're one of the people like me who found it more comfortable to type on the Plus, you won't get that here with the iPhone X. It is the same width as the 6, 7, and 8. The height is substantially bigger than the Plus. Um, so the height of the 6, 7, 8 is 667, and th- these are all points, not pixels. The Plus is 736, and the 10 is 812. That is awesome. So you're going to have much taller lists. However... You're also losing some height due to the home indicator, the drag indicator thing, due to the margin around it, and due to the now taller status ears slash status bar. So if you actually consider, if you run the numbers and if you see the size of what I would call the application content area, if you assume an application that includes displaying the status bar on all phones, then how big is the area between the status bar and either the bottom of the screen or in the case of the iPhone X, where you can go before you hit the home indicator. And so basically, how much area does an app have for its content? 
And the difference there is pretty small. So again, we're the same width between the old 6, 7, and 8 and the iPhone 10. The height, though, is 647 for the smaller screens, 716 for a plus, and 734 for the 10. So it is the tallest. It's taller than the plus in usable area, but not by that much. So what you're basically getting is the same width for sure as the smaller screen phones, a little bit taller usable area than the plus phones in a phone that is bigger than the small phones, but smaller than a plus. And I'm not, and so, and in order to get that, we had to change and give up a lot. We had to lose touch ID. We had to engineer this entire face ID system. We had to change the way apps use the screen. Developers have tons of design changes to do. Also, now those those corners are now very rounded. So we have to stay away from the corners or design around that. We have to design around the notch and we have to use the ears and scroll content weirdly around it. Uh, full screen things have a lot of work to do to either avoid the notch or go around it in a way that doesn't look weird or suck. This has been a lot of work and a lot of effort. And the phone, and for the people who use the small phones like me, the phone is getting larger for a screen that is not wider at all and is pretty tall, which is nice, but I I don't know. Is that good enough for all, like, all the sacrifices that had to be made all the workarounds, all the hacks, all the UI changes, and all the developer effort that's going to be required, both in Apple and outside, to accommodate all this craziness in this new phone. Is that worth a screen that isn't any wider and is just taller? So I don't know if this size is the right set of compromises, but this design, all screen gesture, blah, 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 I like I said, I, I am optimistic that this design will actually, in the end, be... A better overall design and when there's an entire family of phones including the big one and the smaller one that are all like this with ears then there's less pressure on this one phone to be the right trade-off which you know this you know change ui paradigm and all these sacrifices for not that much more screen well you make something the size of a plus with edge-to-edge screen that's there's way more screen there right because you're getting rid of a very large chin and forehead on that phone because they're just so darn big, you know, comparatively. And 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 the you get diminishing returns as you go smaller because the chin and forehead are smaller on the smaller phones. Um, this may be not a great compromise, especially if the width is the same, but the phone is actually wider, which I believe is the case. So the phone is physically wider, but the screen has the same number of points on it. Um, then again, it could be that just like the, what's the uh, is this a three X? This is the thing wasn't it wasn't clear to me. Yes, and and it, and. T- to give them full credit, it is a true 3X. The Plus never has been true 3X. The Plus has been 3X pixels rendered down to a uh, 1080p panel. And this actually is real 3X. So it is 458 dots per inch instead of 401. So it's going to look incredible. Uh, and, and OLED has benefits too. Like OLED is going to have you know better contrast and everything. So like it is going to look incredible. But I, I just I can't believe we didn't gain any width. It, by making the phone bigger and going edge to edge if you made something uh you know 100 points wide and you measured it with a ruler is that is it uh, wider on this phone than it is on the 6 7 i don't know the answer to that I, I don't i don't think so but i don't i don't know the other the other important aspect of making a phone that is physically larger while the number of points is the same is that things are bigger for people with poor vision um so uh, slightly anyway 
and I know you have the zooming and all the text sizing and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm I I am less concerned with whether this exact size is the right compromise uh, because I truly believe that the, the this design will spread across all of them. And once it does, this problem goes away because then you don't have to worry about like like first of all, I think the changes and the sacrifices plus or minus the notch, which I will still get to are worth it if this is a better way to interact with phones than having dedicated buttons on it. If Face ID is actually better than Touch ID in, you know, overall, despite, you know, the edge cases where uh, one might beat the other, uh, if arbitrarily swiping from the bottom is better than having to find a home button in the middle, like if all this turns out to be true, then I'm, you know, I I think it'll all come out in the wash because they're not going to just make one size of this or whatever. And I would assume that they, that they have some experience with sizes now they could have made this phone any size right they could have they could have chosen to make it wider or shorter or taller and this is what they came up with and i'm I'm hoping that the size is a reasonable compromise i think they did a good job with the seven the six size right that it is a pretty good compromise between you have more screen but it's not as big as the plus the plus of course is ridiculous but that's what people want so they want a ridiculous phone and they got one um so i i'm i think i'm less worried than you Marco, but even if this one is the wrong size for people, give them a couple of years. I, ho- I hope they'll I hope they'll work it out. And honestly, I I would be, I, I I would caution people who really love the plus. This might not be the phone for you. Oh no, this is not for plus lovers who absolutely need the plus. Like that's that's why I'm, I'm telling my wife to get it, even though she is a plus lover. I'm going to have to talk to her about the fact. Like you realize, there's going to be less stuff on the screen like it's a smaller phone and it's not going to look like your plus does it's not going to have all that stuff on it so but yeah if you love the plus this is probably not the phone for you because it's just it's going to feel like using a big seven a tall seven right because that's yeah, what it is you're exactly. not going to get all that all that extra room which like i said i think is fine because i'm i know that there's a giant monster aircraft carrier version of this phone coming in a year or two (laughs) or three and so the plus people will have their day and they'll have so much damn screen they won't know what to do with it yeah it can be called the 10l it'll come with a stylus it'll be great so yeah i i agree with marco though i think it's (laughs) going to be very interesting and very funny to watch you know many of our mutual friends who swore up and down oh it's plus club or nothing plus club or nothing and and I think they're going to have some really conflicting thoughts and some really uncomfortable thoughts about yeah, this. They all have to get it so they can talk about it on their tech podcasts, right? But I think they will be grumbly. I think there will, there will be lots of, lots of, because this, they, like, I bet a lot of them will say, uh, I wouldn't buy this phone if it wasn't for the fact that I need to be informed about it and talk about it. And like, you know what I mean? Like that they're, that they're taking one for the team because <laughs> they have to, right? And, you know, some of them will just buy three phones and just use that one to, to play with or whatever um god we're going long so i, I on the notch us i, I don't yeah I, I have a, a little bit there's probably way more that we can say about the notch and maybe we'll save t- something for a future episode but the one thing i want to say about the notch is this is my time to do, say exactly the same thing that i alluded to earlier about the uh lte on the watch the notch uh apple doesn't want the notch the notch is there because it has to be to get the job done Apple wants nothing more than to make this exact phone with no notch on it. Apple is going to do everything that it possibly can over the next five years or so to get rid of that damn notch so the screen can go edge to edge, right? They are doing the sort of hang a lantern on it thing where we had to do this notch thing. We couldn't figure out a way not to have it. 
So we have to embrace it. We have to say, we're not trying to hide the notch. We acknowledge that it's there. We're going to do all sorts of things and incorporate it into the UI and make it an aesthetic and super totally embrace the notch in the ways we'll all discuss here. But Apple, make no mistake, Apple wants to get rid of that notch. They want it to be top to bottom, left to right edge. Johnny Ive wants to not retire or die before he can do that. He might not make it, but they don't want that notch there. So the clock begins now and Apple's team's working two or three phones out are already trying to figure out how the hell they can get rid of that notch. So we're, people may hate the, mo- the notch and hate all the stupid compromises that it requires for software, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be annoying, and it'll have varying degrees of ridiculousness. Uh, but I am very, very confident that this is not a thing that... A- Apple did not set out to make a phone with a notch. This is just what they had to do, and I think it's the right trade. I don't think they should have waited until they could have done this phone without a notch to to do it i think they should do it now whether they should have embraced the notch as much as they did is arguable but i i remain confident that we will have top to bottom edge edge screens probably from android makers first but eventually also from apple i'm still bummed about embrace the notch like i i haven't seen it i haven't held it i haven't played with it but it just i i don't know i from everything i've seen when people have mocked up the you know, kind of hide the notch approach where the, the, where the top bar adjacent to the notch is just black. It's, it still to me looks better, but ask me again in, in, well, I was going to say in a month, but I won't have one in a month, but ask me again. The nice thing is the the humor interface guidelines, which many people are quoting from the, you know, this section says, do not attempt to hide the devices, rounded corners, sensor housing, sensor housing, it's not a notch or indicator for (laughs) accessing the home button. Like do not, they're telling you don't try it. You must embrace notch, but guess what? app developers can do whatever the hell they want so i think it'll be interesting to see how people decide to do that do they follow the apple advice and say totally embrace the notch or do they decide to make the status bar black and not embrace the notch uh it's a thing like i have a pretty big problem with my now playing screen (laughs) yeah i mean but it's all uh it's all uh programmer addressable there's no trickery to make it seem like the screen is smaller than it is like applications it seems have the ability to draw pretty much anywhere on the screen I'm not sure if they can draw over the little home indicator or under the home indicator thingy, but lots of the, by the way, Apple released a tons of sort of like WWC videos, not a WWC of how to do this. They're all about like, here's your margins and your safe area and stay away from the rounded corners, all with insets and with the idea that, you know, I haven't watched these videos yet, but looking at the diagrams, I'm thinking, oh, that means developers have to program all these insets in which is work for them but it also means that if they don't do that like on the watch they could draw right to the edge and look stupid right <laughs> and and have it be oh no the watch is the opposite where you're supposed to draw at the edge anyway they could draw right up against these rounded corners and look bad in fact i believe during the keynote or one of the commercials i think it was during the keynote video they showed that ar game that they were doing the demo from it was like i think it was like in a commercial with the ar thing and one of the status indicators on the screen in the ar game was clipped by the notch because it was too far to the left. It was outside the safe area. It was a circle. It was like the flat tire Android phone. Speaking of things with screens cut off, it was clipped by the notch because they just hadn't updated it to move everything over. And in fact, if they had moved it over, I think they're just going to have to shrink those circles, right? Um, so in a way, software developers are going to decide this as much as Apple. Apple can tell you what they want everybody to do, but if the sort of consensus of software developers is, yeah, we're not going to embrace the notch. Um, then they won't, and it will be fine. Um, I've only heard sporadic reports from people who have used these phones in real life. The impression I get is that the notch is less onerous 
when using the phone than when watching it on video. I guess our eyes are just drawn to it, but when you're using the phone, you're not looking at that part. Kind of like Marco's not looking at the back of his phone that's all scratched up, right? You're kind of looking where the content is and you kind of get over it, but it is a lot of work for developers. And there are lots of awkward slash funny things related to this. Uh, one of the two of the best ones, I'll put these links in the show notes. Ben Packard had an interesting bit where like the scroll bar you know when you scroll on ios that little line appears to kind of the proportional scroll bar that you can actually grab and scroll like shows you where you are with that hiding underneath a notch when you're in landscape lots of fun stuff happens when you're in landscape like you'd scroll it's like (laughs) where's the scroll thumb oh it's under the notch and you scroll and you don't see anything up it popped up on the top it popped up on the bottom and the other one was uh stavik did a uh a joke post of look i fixed the notch where he had scrolling going by the notch oh, it's amazing it, it's it's up, so good. it's like a bunch of names and they're up against it's the beatles names and they're up against the edge of the screen but then when they hit the notch they sort of like bump around it no in landscape it, the notch is a disaster like, it's not a disaster if you don't if you don't embrace it if you just black it off now you just have a screen that is slightly offset um and people are worried about like they kept showing in the presentation here's video with the notch cut out of it which as many people guessed based on my last complaints about like the slightly rounded corners of a QuickTime player years ago pissed me off. Now this phone has super rounded corners that you have no choice because literally the screen is rounded. Like there is, they're not just not lighting up those pixels. Like there's nothing there. Forget it. And now you're going to show video with a notch intruding into it? No, never. But the thing is, that's not, not only do you not have to do that, that's not even the default. When you play video, it will play as a rectangle and you will see every part of it. It will be inset because it's got to stay away from the rounded corners and it's got to stay away from the notch. Uh, but it's fine. And that, as far as I'm aware, is the default on the built-in video players like in Safari and Apple Video. So if you double tap it, it will zoom to full screen and then you'll be playing video behind a notch and you'll be losing all the corners. Uh, but if you zoom to full screen on an iPhone today, unless your video is exactly the same aspect ratio as your phone, which it probably isn't, uh, if it's like a movie or something, if you zoom to full screen, you're already cutting off sides too. So I'm not that annoyed about the notch in the rounded corners in terms of video playing. Uh, I think it will probably be okay. But Apple's Apple's big push to embrace the notch is kind of... I mean, I mentioned Hang a Lantern on it before, which is a narrative device where there's something that doesn't make sense. I hope I'm getting this right. God, I was waiting a million corrections. Where something doesn't make sense in a movie and uh, and you know it doesn't make sense. And you don't want people to saying, oh, I did, that scene was messed up because I didn't, it, that wasn't plausible to me. So all you do is you have a character in the movie say out loud what the audience is thinking. So like, you know, we shouldn't be getting readings like this. They're impossible, but we are. And as soon as you have them <laughs> say that by hanging a lantern on the thing that the audience knows is impossible, suddenly it seems okay because then you, the, the people in the movie are acknowledging the thing that you're all thinking. So by Apple hanging a lantern on the notch, like... We should be able to light up all the pixels on the screen, but there's this giant thing there. And, and Apple says that, yeah, there's a giant thing there, and we're going to emphasize it. They're kind of, you know, they're making the best of a bad situation because nobody wants the notch. But if there's going to be a notch, they are embracing it, and they want you to embrace it too. And it is an interesting aesthetic. It kind of reminds me of those little cards from Rolodexes, which are actually before my time. I'm not actually that old. But, like, you know the little, like, cards with little notches on yep, them, yep. right? It kind of reminds me of that. It's kind of an interesting aesthetic. It does look a little bit like rabbit ears. It does look a little bit weird in landscape. And I feel bad for all the software developers who have to deal with it. But, you know, you, you dealt with size classes and going from fixed layouts to auto layout. And this is why you get the big bucks, right? Or 
or don't get them unless you know how to exploit people with free-to-play uh, gambling <laughs> mechanics. But anyway, um, I think it will work out, but I am already awaiting the day when the notch goes away. How long do you think that that is away from now? Like, because if I had to guess, I honestly don't know. Like, they might just stick with us because if you if you look at like the problem they're trying to solve here, they have a whole bunch of like sensors and cameras and speakers and stuff that like for the phone for these things to work at all, they pretty much need to be facing forward. Uh, and they clearly want the screen to go to the top edge and the bottom edge. So how would they get rid of the notch exactly? Would they somehow just make those things so small they would fit within the current bezel? Like, a, that, that's above the screen? You got it. How, like, they're not very good at making cameras small. Like, if you look, like, they, they have this giant camera bump in the back because to make a decent camera, you, have to, you need a little bit of size. I, I don't see how they get... How, how they retain the super thin bezel around most of the screen area while also fitting those front sensors. And that, by the way, now there's more of them with Face ID. So while also fitting those front sensors into that, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see them getting rid of the notch as long as they have this general borderless design. I think the only way they can get rid of it is to basically backtrack on part of this design and make something that looks more like the S8, uh, where it's like, you know, just thin top and bezel, top and bottom bezels, excuse me. So as people have pointed out, the screen's not really edge to edge. I can see where it doesn't go to the edge. There's a big black band. Like, there are margins on this thing. And and like you said, they could go notchless next year by just putting a very thin forehead on it. They don't want to because then they'd feel the need to do a very thin chin as well. And then they'd be giving up on the edge. But like, you know where they could put, they could put a home button in a very thin chin because if it doesn't need touch ID anymore, then it can be a little skinny button. No, I don't think they're going back on that. I think they're all in on the gestures. I, you're right, they're not. But like, I, I, like if you look at if you look at the Galaxy S8, I have never said anything nice about an Android phone for good reason. However, that's a very attractive design for a edge to edge screen phone, and I and that that's a different set of trade offs. And yeah, you know, like the stuff on the back, like the fingerprint on the back is dumb. But like, just if you look at just the front of the Galaxy S8 compared to the iPhone 10. I have a hard time picking the iPhone 10 in that comparison. I think the iPhone 10 looks better, but the way you get to the the, the notchless without even the thin forehead is, yeah, like uh, the, the march of progress can make some components smaller and other components can be under the screen. Like that's how you get there. Um, like create, you know, no one would have thought that cameras could be as small as they are now. You can make lesser quality cameras even smaller. Say the one front-facing camera is replaced by seven pinhole-sized cameras dotted along the top, and the, the you know the the images are combined from that the company that you have the friend who works for that light camera thing. Like, mm-hmm. we're not saying this is you know technology that's available now. You couldn't make a, a a watch with LTE on it when the Apple Watch came out, and you can't make a notchless phone like this. But you, I think you will be able to eventually. I think there's nothing there's nothing about the array of sensors that makes me think they can't hide them in an edge. You know, it's somewhere around the edge of this phone uh, in the space it's already provided because they don't go all in, in this. You know, the, the Galaxy S8 goes way farther to the edge right and left yes. than this phone does. There is actually room around it. And, you know, if they're willing to compromise a little bit, add two more pieces of paper with to the top, right, to, to wedge things in and get a couple like at the IR sensor underneath the screen somehow or the, the uh, you know, the dot spreader underneath or like. I feel like it will eventually happen, and this design will become viable. I, 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 you said you asked me how long. I thought, 
uh, five years is is my best guess. I think it could come sooner. It depends on how what appetite Apple has for it. If they don't feel pressured to do it because everyone loves the notch and their whole line is notch bearing and it's just like they're sailing and it's like why do you know we didn't want the notch but now that we've got it everybody loves it and everyone's software is written for it and why would we even change it? That could delay it just because they don't want to go for it. But I think technically plausible in five years. God, I couldn't even wager a guess. I mean, five seems reasonable, but oy. all right. So we are running long. Uh, Face ID seems to be mostly what we expected. I think we we certainly got a lot more information about the the mechanics behind it. I thought it was really fascinating that uh, Schiller had talked about how they went and got uh, Hollywood like makeup artists or whatever or prosthetics artists in order to make these eerily realistic masks that that apparently employees would put on to try to fool uh, face ID. It's apparently considerably more secure than Touch ID, which seems weird to me because any face identification I've ever heard or seen about or seen anything about seemed very easy to defeat, whereas fingerprints seemed much harder. But I'm sure that's just because of crummy technology. And if Apple says it's better, I'm inclined to believe it's better. The reason it's better is because faces are so much bigger. So the problem with fingers yeah, is that mm-hmm. the feature size down there, like the number of points they could sort of match up on your fingerprint, like the, the features are so small and there's not that many things to sort of hang on to. Whereas if you look at the number of dots that their little dot sprayer, assuming those diagrams are even remotely accurate, there's just more data points. So there's more places where things can vary uh, than on fingerprints. Plus people's fingers don't even fit entirely. Like the sensor doesn't even cover your whole finger. So you're just getting like a window snapshot of a finger. So it's not as if, oh, my fingerprint is the same as someone else's. They can unlock my phone. No, it's one tiny little square shaped region of your finger maybe close enough in the few areas that the, the, the touch ID sensor can I, identify as distinguishing to a potentially totally different point on someone else's finger. So I, I totally believe that because, I mean, touch ID makes this, you know, oh, it unlocks my finger and it's great and no one else in my family can do it. And so it must be perfect because we have this mystique around fingerprints. But when it comes down to it, it's a bunch of little ridges and skin. And it's not even that many of them because the sensor is small. Whereas this thing is spraying our entire face with tons and tons of data points of, you know, not just what it looks like, but, you know, all the depth things and everything like that. I still don't understand exactly how the the masks aren't able to defeat it, but I'll take their word for it. I mean, there's obviously, you know, some secret sauce in there that uh, can distinguish, I guess, living things from non-living, maybe with heat signatures. I mean, I feel like they didn't reveal all their secrets here because maybe competitive advantage or whatever, but we'll find out. I mean, I guarantee people are going to start trying to, to... fake this thing out with masks so i'm sure someone will will do I mean, they did as soon as touch id came out people faked it out by lifting people's fingerprints from cups and uh, and you know using like super glue or rubber cement and stuff and defeating it um it'll it'll be defeatable and they did mention like oh by the way your twin is a problem and they didn't mention this explicitly but like maybe relatives that look a lot like you might be more of a problem too uh but you know i i believe less in this than when i can't you know as I came out believing in the idea of the all-screen phone with the gestures, like believing that it could be good, still having never touched one of these. Face ID, they basically said all the things I thought they were going to say. I have the same attitude about it now, which is, you know, show me the unlock. I have to, I have seeing is believing. I have to try this myself because I love fast touch ID so much on my phone. Um, I believe, like I said last show, I believe facial recognition can be better than touch ID for situations where the phone is able to see your face. I'm not entirely convinced that the first gen is going to be better than second gen touch ID in terms of efficiency, but we'll see. The speed of it is my one big concern. I mean, it's hard, you know, 
when Touch ID first came out, we we all were wary of it as well. So it's it's hard to know before we've actually had a chance to use it how good it is or what the problem areas actually are. Uh, but I noticed they they focused a lot on how it worked, uh, which I thought honestly was a little bit creepy the way they, the way it was presented. <laughs> They're like spraying dots all over people's faces, and I I, I didn't think it was explained well. Um, Did you see the tweet that said uh, the new iPhone will mace you if you do a bad tweet? Yeah, right. <laughs> Shows them holding the phone in this big big cone. Like I think that did them a disservice because it made it look like that you were having an actual spotlight shined in your face. But my understanding is that it doesn't. I mean, you can't see IR unless you're a bat, right? So. It's not, or did that CIR? I don't know. Oh, God, I'm going to get corrections from the, the <laughs> people. Anyway, I, my, like, some people had video where they could see a flashing sensor, but video cameras often pick up IR. Yes, they that, did. Yeah. That, are, that our eyes don't. So I don't, I don't know what to think of it, but I think, I think their demos made it look more onerous than it actually is. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I think it was presented poorly um, or explained poorly, but, um, I noticed that you know they focused on security and how it worked, but they never made any speed comparisons to Touch ID, and that I suspect that we're going to have a problem there. I I bet it's going to be a little slower. The other thing is um, they mentioned actually some of my favorite analysis of this of this event was on Back to Work this week, and they they mentioned there something that I do too, which is uh, like Merlin was saying that as he pulls his phone out of his pocket, he has already hit the home button with his thumb and so the time the phone is out of his pocket and he's looking at it it's unlocked i do the same thing like i i just kind of automatically unlock my phone as i'm taking it out of my pocket so i never have to wait for it to unlock especially with the new fast touch id since the success and i i wonder like how is face id going to have these little like slowed down microscopic interactions that are going to irritate me every single day like i i don't know i hope it's fast if it's really super fast when it looks at you when it does finally have a view of your face maybe this won't be a problem but it just seems unlikely heard from a couple people you know the lock animation's got like a padlock type thing that basically when 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 the top of the padlock you know twists to show you that it has successfully recognized your face that it's unlocked that that animation like so many animations actually lags behind it actually recognizing your face so i'm hoping they did the good game development thing where all right so it does have to have line of sight on me so forget about the touch id in the pocket um but you get it out and what i want to be able to do is get it out and as it comes in front of my face i want to do the swipe up gesture even though it hasn't been unlocked yet i've i've starting the swipe up gesture because if you swipe up and it, and it doesn't unlock like it brings you to the like please type in your password screen right I want to be able to begin the swipe up, and if it recognizes me when it's in the middle of the swipe up or in the middle of doing the animation triggered by the swipe up, abort showing me the screen where I have to enter my passcode and unlock the phone. Like, if they can overlap it in that way, it will it will help to hide the latency, right? If instead you have to look at it, notice with your eyeballs that the animation of the padlock going, and then begin your swipe no matter how fast it is, that will be annoying because the unlock animation has non-zero time. You having to look for and recognize it has non-zero time. I want to be able to take out, swipe, recognize, open. And that's probably the best they can do with this because you're right. They didn't say it was faster. It probably isn't faster. It's probably amazing that it works at all and it's an amazing technological feat, but it is also the first generation of this product and we'll have to you know, try it and see. I do, I do love me some Touch ID, but I'm like I said before, the idea of this dead area at the bottom of my phone where there's nothing except for a circular button that's not really a button anymore does seem like the past in the way 
that these Apple events always tend to do to you. It does seem old and steampunky, and <laughs> I'm, will, I'm willing to believe that it will go away, but we brave pioneers will find out how long it's going to take. One thing that uh, bummed me out is it only allows for one face, which I totally understand, but one of the things that I really liked about Touch ID was that I asked Erin if she could register one of her thumbs on my phone so that this way, if, if for example, I wanted her to respond to a text for me because maybe I'm like playing with Declan or something like that and my phone is not in my pocket, I could just say to her, hey, can you grab my phone and, and tell Marco and John I'll be there in five minutes or whatever. And I have a very, very long passcode on my phone because I almost never need to type it. It's, it's exceptionally rare that I need to type my passcode. And it's something like 10 or 15 or 20 characters. And so having Touch ID available, available to her is really, really nice for both of us because sometimes she needs to look at something that maybe only I have, like an email that only I have, or sometimes I want her to respond to a text from me or something like that. Um, and so she does know my password, but it's, it's very inconvenient to type. And I'd really love to be able to register her face on my phone as well, which is you know a choice that I would make. And not everyone would make that choice, but that's something I would like to do. And as of right now, it is only allowable to use uh, Face ID with one face. And again, I understand why. I only have one face. The phone is a personal device. Do you Theoretically, understand why? Should... Like, that, like that's what your explanation, other than just, oh, this is a personal device. I'm assuming it has to be storage related. But the, the thing, reports I heard from the people, it's like at launch, only one face, which makes me think there's enough storage for more than one because obviously they have more data points right and the the whole evolving of the thing like you can imagine it takes up more storage than touch id in the secure enclave where they have to keep all this stuff right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but i just hope hardware wise there actually is room for more than one because i've got fingers on every device in the house i've got all my kids devices <laughs> my wife's everything because mostly for convenience cause it's not like they're gonna keep me out of the stuff like i know all their passwords i can get into all the things it's just it's just convenient yeah, exactly. And and I had heard rumblings of the same that maybe in the future it'll be more than one, but I am a little bummed right now that it is just one. Uh, again, as with earlier, you know, not really a big deal. This is still a phone that is unlocking by looking at my face, even in the dark. Like, things can be a lot worse, but it did bum me out a little bit. Uh, what else about this? Uh, what else is new other than Face Four, 4K 60. Marco wanted it. He got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got yeah. it and all the all of them. And they they didn't quite do a perfect job, but they did a pretty substantial job in improving the telephoto camera in the two camera module, uh, but only for the 10, not for the 8 plus. Um, where now the, you know, before I, I basically I said last episode, what I wanted was that, you know, with the 7 adding the dual camera thing to the plus, the zoomed-in telephoto camera was a narrower aperture, so it let in less light and was noisier at night, and was not image-stabilized, which basically made it very hard to ever use that in low light and get a good picture. And, and the software was smart enough to basically not use it uh, in low light and to just zoom in on the, uh, on the wide sensor that was better. Now, the new ones, uh, the aperture difference is smaller. It's still there, but it's smaller. And they're both stabilized on the 10. So that's really nice. I do wish that the 8 Plus got the same module. Uh, I don't think there's much reason for it not to have gotten it, other than just price and segmentation, um, because there's probably room for it. Uh, so, I, you know, like, it makes sense why the 8 didn't get it. There's probably not room for it in, in the enclosure, but, you know, I, I do wish they would have brought that, brought that to the Plus as well. Uh, but the fact that it's there on the 10, that's great. And, and that these now do all shoot 4K 60, 
that's amazing. Um, because again, as, as I mentioned last week, almost no professional video cameras shoot 4K60 yet. That's very rare. Uh, and so to have that in anything, let alone a $700 and up phone, is really impressive. And on top of that, the iPhone is already such an amazing video camera. That's a pretty big deal. So I would say for most people, for most purposes, the iPhone remains the best video camera in the world. And this is a giant step forward even for it. So I'm very impressed with the camera So you know, on, on paper. And I hope in practice, I hope it proves to be as good as it sounds. 240 frames per second slow-mo. I thought that was what the old one did, but I guess I'm mistaken. Is, th- is that double what the old one did? I think that did it, but only for 720p. And now it does 1080 uh, And so they've, up- they've updated to 1080p, yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's good. Um, but now we get to finally the real reason why people will buy and be happy with this phone, if this is true. Two hours more battery life. It's what we've always wanted. Don't make the phone thinner. <laughs> add more battery life. This phone got a big, giant screen on it. A extremely fast, powerful processor. All sorts of you know cameras and wireless doodads and sensors and blah, blah, blah. And they added two hours of battery life, which is a lot that uh, reason you know i'll have to see how it measures up to the plus but the seven was already pretty good that is going to feel like a premium experience when people buy this fancy phone for all the money that it's going to cost and they get this edge screen it's a little bit weird and blah 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 but a it's going to be a new phone and new phones always last longer than your old one because your old battery is shot and b the fact that this actually has more battery life if that comes out the way it does that is perhaps the most high-end feature that you can give to <laughs> iphone users in particular who are used to kind of being starved for battery so i i was very happy about that because you know that was one of the few questions we had because we may have known the exact milliamp hour size of the battery from leaks i don't know if we knew that or not but we, even if we did you never know the over, what is the overall battery life of this very complicated system that involves tons of components going to be? Especially since software is such a big factor in balancing the components. That's one of the things that can almost never be spoiled for us unless we leak the presentation, which I guess is what will happen next year. We'll get the keynote slides, right, <laughs> a week in advance. We should uh, video of the rehearsals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, seriously. Um, that's a hell of a thing. That that made me extremely excited to see that. They're not just like, oh, and it's a little bit better. Two more hours that they put that up on a slide. That is amazing. Yeah, I, I hope yeah. that translates into real world gains. We will see, you know, over time. Um, it is worth pointing out that the eight plus still claims higher battery life. Um, so, you know, if battery life is the most important thing to you, the plus phone is probably still the right move. Also, again, if screen size is the most important to you, plus phone still the right move. But I see, I, I don't know. This this is why, like, once again, in, in the Apple product line, they have. <laughs> They have made it so that there is no one best choice. <laughs> like this was this was the case for a while in the iPads. Like it's definitely the case in the MacBook Pros. Like there is no one best model here. It just depends on which things you prioritize over which other things. Fans of the Plus should strongly consider getting the next Plus uh, instead of getting the Ten. But the reality is, you know, all of us who talk on podcasts about these phones and everything, we're all going to get the Ten anyway. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention that the, I think the eight does as well, but doesn't uh, the 10 get um, True Tone? Yes. The, at least the 10 does. I don't know if the other ones do. Yeah. I think, I think they all get it, which is surprising to me because that means they found a place to smuggle that sensor on the eights. I mean, it's nice. I mean, and although this is 
my my biggest surprise of the thing actually was no promotion, which makes very little sense to me. Yeah. Unless there was some kind of battery life thing, because it's not like they don't have the the CPU grunt to do it, and they're not moving that many pixels, and there's plenty of room on the phone because it's a little bit bigger. I mean, it must come down to either component size or costs or battery life, uh, because it's like it's not a technical limitation. So they found room for True Tone for everybody, but no promotion. I wonder if maybe the OLED panel can't refresh that fast yet. At least maybe people, like people said that, but I don't I don't see how that's like OLED TVs are you know uh, refresh at one twenty easy. Like I think your TV does that already. Like maybe they're different when it's when it's smaller i don't know or maybe like you know their their particular quality level of oled panels getting you know getting their color yeah. and their contrast and their gamut uh, like maybe those can't do 120 yet and then, and they wouldn't have the 8 panels do it if the 10s panel couldn't do it so yeah, like that yeah, could I be mean, a reason i don't know i i think i think it most comes down to the the hardware to drive the panel at that rate and finding room for it and potentially what the power does. But I would love to hear from somebody who knows more about the, uh, you know, the internal details of how you drive any screen at 120 hertz and how that might uh, affect. Or if someone on the iPhone team just wants to write in and tell us why the hell you don't have promotion. <laughs> um, and especially since the animations on the 10 in particular, they're they're kind of more prominent like when you when you go back to the home thing of like the the application that you just chucked upwards it like floats back into the icon that it came from and all sorts of scaling things and all those animations would look better at 120 because they're short animations there's not that many frames and so they can end up looking stuttery uh even if they're not actually dropping any frames because they're so fast so 120 would definitely help there and give a more sort of fluid experience but maybe next year i'm stoked for uh for True Tone, though, because I don't have any devices with True Tone, and from what little I've seen, it looked really, really nice. Not to say promotion isn't by any stretch, but I, I, I have seen promotion briefly, and I thought it was nice, and I'm sure if I had time with it, I would start to say, oh, no, this is amazing, but uh, I'm really stoked to have True Tone, uh, and I think I heard it on Upgrade, and Jason had mentioned that a lot of times he's getting the brightness not to the position he wants it just because he's fighting kind of the ambient light situation in the room. And I feel like I suffer from the same problem from time to time for a very loose definition of suffering. But anyway, um, I feel like the having True Tone is going to be really nice and it's going to be new for me. So I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. But before you get off True Tone, the best thing I can say about True Tone is that I enable it and I don't notice that it's on because that's how it should work. You shouldn't notice that it's making your screen more brown and crap like the horrible flux and night shift things that I hate. I leave it on and I don't even notice that it's there. Uh, and if I turn it off, like if sometimes I go back and say, what would this look like without True Tone? You see it being like more blue when you're sitting in your house at night. So True Tone gets a big thumbs up from me as a quality of life thing for a screen where you're not doing like color work for like, you know, where you need accurate reproduction of colors where you just want it to like look look the way it's supposed to kind of look given the ambient lighting so i I really liked your tone yeah yeah uh the stuff that we had talked about up until the iphone 10 uh pre-ordering friday as i think i'd mentioned earlier and then available a week from friday this one though it's go the iPhone 10 is not going to be pre-orderable for basically a month and a half until the 27th of October which is again Friday and available the following Friday November 3rd 
that's I mean, in the grand scheme of things, not a not a big deal, but that's a bummer. I want to I want to give Apple an un, just unreasonable amounts of my money sooner <laughs> than that, please. I think it's also, you know, like many Apple launches of late, um, the official day one launch, if you're very lucky, you might hit that. But I think most people are not getting this phone probably before January. Yeah, I'm going to be really bummed. Yeah, and it's fine. I mean, like, we always know this is going to be in, you know, that there wasn't going to be much supply and delay. Like, it's, you know, we'll, we'll survive. It's better than waiting around for the color you want, I guess. <laughs> like the gold true. phones with people getting in line but you know that's I, I bet apple would have liked to have more squarely hit the holiday season but they're just you know like it's going to be january for, for most people sorry if you want one under the tree just print out a picture of it and uh, put it in a little <laughs> box and then just sort of create cradle it so bef- any other thoughts but i have one final closing thought but any other thoughts before then uh i didn't see any battery packs for the 10 Oh, interesting. Like no, point. no, no hunchbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so. appears that there aren't new battery cases. Um, the they're saying that cases for the seven will fit the eight. Yeah. Um, and similar for the pluses. So I I imagine that probably means that the seven battery case will fit the eight. There is no seven plus battery case, so that rules that out. And yeah, it does appear that there's not going to be at least there isn't yet uh, a, a ten battery case. Yeah, although they do have a folio case, uh, yeah, and they do have the. They do have the leather, uh, the folio case. I saw someone with frustration had the same thing. They only show it from the back. There's two pictures on the Apple yes. Store, and they're both and they're both from the back. I think that's just a mistake in the store. But I that I not that I'll ever buy one of those, but I want to see what it looked like. But the the I was excited to see the leather case for the iPhone 10. That's essentially the same as the leather case that I have now. That comes in some interesting colors, and I'm a big fan of that case. So hopefully the new one is just as good. And because the leather case, Apple's leather case, the existing one and the new one are totally open at the bottom. The one edge where you're going to be swiping constantly, you won't have to be swiping against the edge of a case. Oh, and fast charging on both of the, on, on all the new phones. The whole like whatever I don't know what standard is for the USB fast charging thing where you can get a fifty percent charge in thirty minutes. Yeah, that was interesting. Setting, setting aside the wireless thing, that's I think that's just like a USB fast charging standard. Or yeah, it's it, it's USB C yeah. power delivery, and so so basically, if you have like one of the MacBook Pro adapters, like or or if you have the iPad fast charge adapter, um, none of these come stock in the box of any iOS device. But if you happen to have the USB-C to lightning cable, which also doesn't come stock in the box, and one of these fast-charging power bricks that also doesn't come stock in the box, and that many of which aren't even made for these products, then it will charge faster, which is a nice thing to have if you need it. Um, I do question why they didn't just boost up the power bricks that come with it, uh, but, you know, Apple, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they wouldn't be able to fit it in the boxes. The, the one they give you is the little tiny non you know, and that's I, I honestly there. think not not to dress up too much, but I honestly think that one of the reasons why the Apple TV remote is so bad and unchanged is because they didn't want to make the box bigger. I, I bet that's a big reason for it. Yeah, it's not it's not just the box. They don't want to make the remote bigger. That's what it comes down to. They're, they feel like it should be <laughs> it should be in scale and it should be elegant and dainty. And they don't understand that people's hands are not that big. Yeah. Or not that small, rather. Uh, real time follow up. Someone in the chat room did helpfully provide a view of the front of the folio case. I will never buy one of these, but some people like them. And so now there's one from Apple because why wouldn't they charge you 70 bucks or whatever for a thing to put on your phone? Yeah, some are somebody about it. I mean, and there, there's a whole bunch of other small stuff from the event that we don't have time for. I mean, we didn't talk about Animoji. We didn't talk about Air Power or the mats or anything like that. So, yeah, I guess that'll be part of next week's show. That'll be like, like our junk drawer of all two weeks with a follow up, 
plus like an emoji and air power mats and things like that. <laughs> uh, I don't want to talk about an emoji other than to say uh, I have received a few and <laughs> they are pretty awesome. And I don't know it's something that I'm going to be using a lot or doing a lot, but they are pretty cool. It, it, is, it is very amusing, and, and we can talk more about it next week. So closing thought, Marco, what phone or phones are you going to be buying, and when will you be doing that? Oh, I mean, because, again, because I'm a developer and an Apple commentator, I have to get the 10, no question. And that's probably going to end up being the phone for me overall. I am disappointed that the screen isn't bigger, uh, wider. Like that, like I feel like for the size increase, I, I and all the trade offs, I would have liked a, a little bit more width than what I already have. Um, so that's unfortunate, but it's probably going to be great. I'm probably going to love it. I'm definitely going to love having that camera system. Um, so I really want it for that, if nothing else. Oh, I'm going to need to do a lot of work on Overcast to make it fit the notch. <laughs> it's basically it ruins my entire UI. Is is how this works? Like this, Whee! this ruins everything. So I'm I'm getting the phone for that. If I were not a commentator and developer, I honestly might consider the eight plus instead. Um, but oh well, uh, maybe I'll end up getting both and putting the eight plus as a dedicated Waze machine in my car because Waze is amazing. Anyway, so <laughs> so uh, I'm definitely getting the 4K Apple TV. And uh, just because, you know, again, I use it constantly and I do have a 4K TV uh, and I'm getting the uh, 3G watch or sorry, the LTE watch series three. So, yeah, overall, it's been a pretty expensive event. Yeah. Tell me about it. I mean, I'm in for two watches, like I said earlier, one LTE, one not. Um, I'm going to be getting definitely one iPhone 10 in 256 uh, space gray, probably one for Aaron, too. Uh, we haven't really had time to talk it over yet, but I suspect I will. Uh, I don't know what color, color she'll want, and I'll almost certainly just insist that she gets a 256 there. So between two watches and two phones, no Apple TVs for me, not yet anyway. I'm looking at something like $3,000 this fall, which is <laughs> truly and utterly preposterous. And if you've ever listened to any one of our ads ever, then thank you. Because thank you. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, I would not be getting probably any of these things. So, John, John, what's your situation? You said Tina's getting a watch, and she's probably getting a phone as well, and you're getting just the TV? Yeah, well, TV's for the whole family, not just for me. Uh, I'm going to live vicariously through my wife, who I'm trying to convince to get a 10, so I'll have one to play with. But it's not it's not my phone year. <laughs> I'm going to keep using my 7. I like it. I'll let the rest of the world experiment. I hope she gets a 10, because then I will be able to play with it and see what it's like without having to actually use it as my phone, which I'm not sure I'm ready for. If it was my year, I would get a 10, though. If it was my phone year, I would totally get that, because I'm, I'm very convinced that that is the, the one that I would want to try. It's the one that you want. Who, who, who? I got it, but Marco didn't. No, no, I, I got it. Yeah. I, oh, how'd you get that reference? I know oh, some Tiff? music. Is, her, is it her, her influence? It's music. I know music. <laughs> I have heard music. You can't go. You can't live in the world and not have heard that song. Uh, you can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You haven't heard and seen. <laughs> All right. Always continue to amaze me. All right. <laughs> Thanks to our three sponsors this week: Squarespace, Backblaze, and Aftershocks. And we will see you next week. Now the show is over They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it 
was accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C A S E Y L I S S. So that's Casey Liss, M A R C O A R M E N T, Marco Armin, S I R A C U S A Syracuse. It's accidental. God, this is a long show. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if we really need much of an after show. I was surprised you didn't bring up uh, aftershocks when you were talking about riding your bike because that is the ultimate time for aftershocks because they're open air. I know. Well, uh, the, the only problem is that when I, when I'm riding my bike, I am terrified, uh, so I don't want to die. Uh, so I've been mostly using the aftershocks on the walks and not on the bike rides. What are you, what are you afraid of on the trail? There's no cars that are going to run you over, right? I'm mostly afraid of just getting myself to the trail, even though it's quite close to my house. Um, oh, you're on the bike doing it still. I mean, yeah, I, I could just put in the bike. I could just pause the podcast, drive to the trail, like you know, bike to the trail, and then resume it. Um, I'll probably start doing that. It, the, I haven't I haven't gotten a lot of biking in. Um, I guess this is our after show now. Um, <laughs> so I I have finally completed my bike shopping extravaganza. That's a lie. That's a lie you're telling us and yourself. Mm-hmm. It turns out I am terrible at buying bikes. So the way that I buy everything else, basically, is I do a ton of research. I th- it consumes my mind for like two weeks. And eventually I convince myself to buy the best thing and I buy it. And then I'm happy for a while until a better thing comes out. That does not work for bikes. Like I, what I have learned basically is that the correct best way to buy a bike is to go into your local bike shop, drive a few things around that you like, and whatever one feels the best to you, buy it, and that's it. Like you should do basically no research. You should learn about almost nothing about the high end of bikes. You should read no online reviews because they're pretty much useless. The way for most people to buy a bike is just that, to do it in the most casual way possible, the way most people buy everything. Because like I, I have I have done such an insane amount of research on online, browsing different things, looking at different specs, figuring, okay, well, I definitely want this kind of thing. I definitely don't want this kind of thing. It got me basically a lot of nowhere. It, it got me to a lot of wasted um, research time, a lot of consuming mental time. It got me to rule out things that I actually like, um, not knowing that I was ruling them out. Uh, and it got me to, to to get myself really dedicated to certain types of bikes that are not right for me, that actually don't fit my knees and I, that I'm not comfortable on. Um, it has taken me a long time to finally figure all this out. What I did basically, and, and, and a special... Thank you to the people at Budnitz Bicycles, who I basically has, have been bothering and asking questions to and arranging, like trying to get a loaner to try out or trying to visit a showroom to try things out for a good three months now. They've been very patient with me. Um, and they even did arrange for me to test out one of their bikes in the Hamptons. And therefore, I, I drove to the Hamptons. They arranged to lend me one of their bikes for free so I could try it and then order my own that, you know, things I would like. 
I tried it. It wasn't right for me. They were very, very tolerant of me, very patient with me. Thank you so much to the Budden Spikes people. Um, and if you do want a a bike of the kind they make, which is like a nice, a really nice city bike, that's amazing. Like they were ridiculously nice. But I learned basically through all this that what I actually want, what I'm most comfortable on, and what I actually need to ride this trail over here, which is the main way I ride here, is a pretty normal mountain bike. I was going to hope it was a penny, penny farthing. No, I, I know. <laughs> but like, what I need is a basic mountain bike. What we've discovered, and you know, Tiff and I went to uh, a couple of local bike stores. We just discovered that we don't want to buy the thing that all the research tells us to buy. We don't want to get the best possible thing. We just want to get a bike. And we we now Tiff and I each have bought bikes in the last 48 hours. And they say Trek on them in big letters. <sighs> close. They almost did. <laughs> um, no, mine says specialized in big letters. The- yeah, I was close. I'm going to say you're going to have to, one of your requirements is going to have to give, and I bet it's the one with the logos. <laughs> yeah. No, that that was, that had to, that, yeah. <laughs> Once you go into a bike shop, uh, trying to get something that looks fairly tasteful is incredibly challenging um, <laughs> because all the major brand bikes are just, outrageous looking my uh, mongoose looks awesome by the way of course it does yes present company excluded uh so <laughs> um what tiff and i both uh landed on even though they are kind of slow at times is that we both really had a lot of fun on 27 and a half inch plus semi-fat tire bikes so tiff and i are each now owners of semi-fat mountain bikes uh both at the fairly entry-level price points um, mine is literally, this is the actual name of this product. It is called the Specialized Fuse 6 Fatty slash 29. Wow. Is that a comment on the people who buy the bike? Get on the bike, fatty? <laughs> I mean, I am buying this bike for fitness purposes. As one Seems of the... like a, a counterproductive marketing strategy. <laughs> this is a bike for you, fatty. Yeah, so I'll put the link here. So yeah, so, that, so I have the 6 Fatty 29. And, uh, and then Tiff has the... Or Bea Loki 27 plus H20, which is a mouthful. <laughs> that's, a also. Lot of, that's a lot of words for the name of a bike. But basically what happened is we tried a few bikes in the store, and I tried all the red ones, and Tiff tried all the blue ones, and she picked her favorite <laughs> blue one. <laughs> that, this, is a great, this is a great shopping strategy. And I picked my favorite red one, and we got pretty good prices on them. They're pretty inexpensive, relatively speaking, and they're not the best bikes in the world, but they make us the happiest, and we're not going to be bike power users for a long time, probably. So I tried really hard to do my regular, you know, uh, my regular research-heavy thing and then eventually get the best or at least get, like, the most sensible. And it turns out that's just totally the wrong way to buy a bike, and it's just so much easier to just go to the shop and find the one that rides the best for you and just buy it. Well, because you have so little experience with bikes, and bikes are such a large world. Imagine if you had uh, so, so little experience with computers, and computers are such a large world. You'd end up buying one based on, like, specs or something, but not realize the importance you placed on the OS, and it's just it's just too much. But I bet your research strategy would work if you ride bikes, ride these bikes for many, many years and kind of get a feel for what you like, and then it's time to buy a new bike, and then you would be able to do the exhaustive research knowing actually really what you like and what you don't like the same way you can with cameras because you've had a lot of cameras and you can do the 10 hours reading dp review because you're not going in with no with no foundational knowledge you know whereas bikes it was just like they have two wheels and you sit on them uh and then there's a bunch of words that and other people's opinions <laughs> are basically informing yours right 
Yeah. And and like and online reviews of bikes are all written by like pro bikeists and they have very different preferences and needs yeah. than what I have as a casual recreational rider. Well, cuz you were shopping for pro bikes that cost like thousands of dollars. So all the course all the reviews are going to be from pro people. It's not going to be from like <laughs> I ride in the trail behind my house behind my house in this $3000 bike. Well, and also, and you know, the, the pro bikes are doing things like complaining about certain component choices in certain bikes and everything. And like, if they say, "Oh, this doesn't have the you know SRAM A7 brakes," I'm like, I don't even know if that's good <laughs> or not. Like, I, I, I had no concept of what components were good and what weren't. And 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 there was a large price range for you know the different different types of bikes people were recommending and that seemed to be you know popular sellers and everything but what i found when i when i would go and like you know go to a bike store and like ride like the really nice ones versus ride the base level ones is that i found that i just you know in in casey fashion i just didn't care about the difference like and and the ones that i found that were like super fun that just felt right to me were relatively inexpensive no belt drive no CVT. That's true. I tried really hard to find a mountain bike that has a belt drive oh, and insane. any kind of internal gearing option. The, mm-hmm. I found one with a belt drive. Um, the Spot. Uh, Spot makes one that has a belt drive, but it's fixed gear only. And I found zero that have a belt drive and internal gearing. That's what I was getting at when you when you listed like belt drive as your requirement. It's like you don't even know you don't even know this is you just discover this is a thing that exists and it seems fancier, so you want it. But there's a reason the chains are all in use, and it may just be the belts haven't trickled down from the high end yet. But that also, seems like most of the is, reason. There's also that 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 chains are a tried and true technology. They are a solved problem. They can make them pretty well. And of all things, you would think mountain bikes would have the internal ones and not have it all be mucked up and everything. But I guess they're just either not there yet or the sort of chunky reliability of a chain. So I, I noticed this one doesn't have a front derailleur. Maybe that's a, an innovation in uh, recent decades in mountain bikes. I mean, it's. It, I think it's probably also just because it's like a lower end model. Like it, it only has ten speeds. You know, like you can get a lot of them seem to have like between eight and eleven speeds that just had a rear derailleur, which is that's fine for me. In many ways, it's probably like a cultural demand thing. Like I don't think mountain bikeists want the additional weight of internal gear hubs on the back wheels, and also there seems to be a large need for them to be able to do repairs like while they're out. So things have to be fairly mechanically simple mm-hmm. for that to be possible. So like, you know, a belt and a fancy internal gear hub, like they exist. Thank you. I know about roll off hubs. Uh, they exist, but it seems like putting them on mountain bikes is nearly unheard of. Um, or at least is not usually done on bikes that you can buy that are stock configured that way like people seem to customize them sometimes but that's about it so all this is to say i totally failed at buying a bike uh through my usual methods but i did finally just buy one and now i'm done with it and now i'm going to actually enjoy riding it because you know a quick way to burn through a whole fall full of nice weather not riding a bike is to try to spend all this time going bike shopping I have spent so much time in my car in the last week, not like just moving bikes around or renting bikes or transporting myself to and from bike shops that are far away. Like I have missed out on so much good riding time because I I was spending too much time overthinking this, this problem. Sounds rough driving around to bike stores. Yeah. The struggle is real. Casey and I were at work just so you know. 